death has come to your little town. A story you thought you knew will reveal secrets you can't imagine. You haven't said a word for 15 years. And unleash a twist. Is he gone? You'll never forget. Mike, I failed you. On August 31st, experience a legendary tale as it's never been told. In theaters everywhere, August 31st. Hello, welcome to Horror Court Trash Over the Show. It discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back with another Michael Myers through the years episode. This is our penultimate episode. Yes, that's yes. the word. Well done. Thank you very much. And we do some, some good shit for you on this podcast. <laughs> what do you mean? We sit through some shit for people's entertainment. <laughs> um, I mean, but first uh, of no, all... You like having a good old rant anyway. I, I do. I'm not sure if it's fully for other people's entertainment. But talking about being people's entertainment, we've had a big surge in streams and downloads this past week or two, which is fucking crazy. Like, we had like three months worth in, in one week. And I, I don't know where it's come from, but thank you very much for... Uh, yeah, listen to us talk shit. If someone shared or yeah, 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 you know, let us know and we can say thank you. Yeah, but but most importantly, thanks for listening. But um, well, not a but really. No, still thank you for listening. Uh, and and we're gonna talk about two terrible films for you today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, these, Very are, these are particularly bad. I feel like I've said that a lot during Halloween. Oh, um, for the years. Certain films. Yeah. Certain films. We, um, we're, we're past him being in a cult. We're past uh, him murdering people when they're 17. Uh, we're past the Big Brother style film with Buster Rhymes. And we've landed in the dreaded time zone of horror in the 2000s. <laughs> it's true. I, well, I, the last you know one was 2000 as well. Exactly. Resurrection was 2000. Exactly. Um, I, you know, I'm just repeating myself now. I've said it time and time and time and time and time again on this podcast. The 2000s were fucking rough for horror. In America, I mean, we've recently watched a few Asian horror films from the 2000s and they're all phenomenal, so... Yes. It says it all. Hollywood horror all. was not... The place to be no, in the 2000s. And With a few exceptions. There's a few exceptions, yeah. A few exceptions. There's a few. But mostly you'd get shit like this. Rob Zombie's Halloween in 2007. So, Rob Zombie. Discuss. One of your favourite directors, yeah? No. <laughs> no, no. I've, I think I've always struggled with his films... Um, which is weird because he's a highly influenced by films that I like. Yeah. But through the Rob Zombie, you know, um, grinder, I was going to say. <laughs> I suppose that's the word, you know. It's not... Grinder and Rob Zombie have never been said in the same sentence But, before. you know, through, through the Rob Zombie machine, the end product has always really disappointed me. Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of House of a Thousand Corpses and The Devil's Rejects. Um, you know, I think they're good films that use their influences quite well. You can see he's going for a sort of Tarantino-type style with them, you know, taking his influences, doing something else with them, whatever. Um, you know, I think they're good. I haven't watched them in a while. I don't know how well they stand up uh, in 2021. 
But everything else, fuck me, is dire. So Rob Zombie is the director of the two films I just mentioned, as well as Free From Hell, um, which was pretty much... It was meant to be a sequel to those two, but felt more like a remake of The Devil's Rejects. Uh, 31, shit. Lords of Salem, we took... Shit, when I first watched it, we turned it off and we tried to yeah, watch it I really a while back. That. And he's making uh, a remake of The Monsters. As a film. Yeah, I just... I find his films to be quite same-ish. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of, you know, they're highly violent, there's lots of swearing, you're probably going to get some homophobic slurs, probably some ableist slurs in there as well. You know, the characters are going to be sort of grimy, backwards people. Mm-hmm. Um, backwards at like um Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre yeah. backwards not backwards as in the opposite to forwards. Um but it's kind of just not my cup of tea. It's not my cup of tea. But those things are why House of Thousand Cops and Devil's Rejects work. They were uncomfortable films. They mm. were you know, that was their purpose. It, it that, they were his first two films, um, you know, it was it was something new, it wasn't nice to sit through, but it was still in a scary film kind of way, you know, it was very much Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but way more graphic. Um, but then when he started putting that into other films, like when he did his Halloween remix, which we're about to talk about, does not work at all. You're just making another Rob Zombie film. And that's ultimately my issue, and what I was a bit worried about with these two Halloween films, is that Rob Zombie's films that I knew were very rural films. Mm. Whereas this is very much a suburban film. This is a suburban story. The original Halloween is a suburban story. It's about evil coming to a town. You know, a white picket fence area being, you know, taken over by this menacing force. And it's... I don't think he does it right... No, there's because, no impact. Because we'll get into it, but it still kind of feels like the same characters from his previous films. Yeah. yeah. And there's no impact. When you see the film open the way it does, and then when Michael Myers starts killing people and when he escapes and whatever, what the fuck does it matter? Because everyone's the exact same. Like, yeah. no one's likeable. Who, who gives a shit? Yeah. We're getting into budget, $15 million, and it made $80.4 million worldwide. So people still went and watched it. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm kind of in the minority in the whole not enjoying Rob Zombie's films. I don't know, I think it's mixed, it's definitely mixed. I don't think there's one more than the other. I think there's a lot of people who share that opinion and a lot of people who think he's some sort of god. Uh, He has die-hard fans. He does, he does. Die-hard fans. I'm not really aware of his music, to be honest, so I can't really comment on that. So, the inclusion of the plotline about Michael Myers' early days at the mental asylum under the care of Sam Loomis is a nod to a plotline added in by John Carpenter for the television viewing of the original Halloween. As told by Carpenter, when the original film was first sold to television, they demanded added scenes to replace the edited portions of the murder scenes. So Carpenter recalled Donald Pleasance, the original Sam Loomis, to film scenes of him at the hospital taking care of Michael. Yeah, those scenes in the TV version last for like... Uh, a couple of minutes. Yeah. This is an hour yeah. of the shit. Yeah. It's not a nod to. It's a fucking headbang. Yeah. 
it's 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 a big fucking chunk of the film. Yeah. And what, it's just a nod to a throwaway scene that I've never seen because no one, no one watches the fucking TV version no. of Halloween. No. No one puts that on every no. year. No. Who, who does... If you do that, let me know and tell me why. <laughs> Emma Stone auditioned for the role of Laurie Strode. Wish you fucking got it. <laughs> well, yeah. I think that would have worked. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, before reinventing the legendary Halloween, Rob Zombie made the wise choice to inform John Carpenter about it. In response, Carpenter encouraged Zombie to make it his own. At that point, Carpenter had given up on the franchise long before anyway. Uh, after this, I haven't, I don't think I got it down in my trivia, but after this, uh, Rob Zombie came out and said something along the lines of, oh yeah, John Carpenter gave me a rough time, or, you know, John Carpenter said this and did that, uh, he said he didn't enjoy the film. And John Carpenter's response was, I don't know why that piece of shit is lying about me, um, but I didn't like the film anyway, because he gave him too much backstory and he made him really tall. It's not normal. <laughs> I can see where John Carpenter would come from and just be like, do you know what? They fucked it up enough times. Just do whatever you like. I don't care. Long as I get my money. I don't give a shit. Did you see part six? <laughs> the production was delayed due to the death of Mustafa Rakad, the producer of all eight films, who died of severe injuries as a result of the terrorist attacks at Jordan in 2005. Which is very sad. He was the uh, just as much of a name on the franchise as John Carpenter was. Absolutely. Uh, before deciding to go with Rob Zombie's version, the studio was about to greenlight Halloween, The Missing Years, which would have been a pre- prequel set within his early days at the asylum. What was oh, everyone's obsession with this bullshit? Obsessed with it. Uh, sadly, it's another Weinstein's film. Those pieces of shit are back. Rob Zombie revealed making Halloween with them was a miserable experience for him, uh, and he was reluctant to do the second one. But he did the second one and thought, okay... Well, the first one was a miserable experience, but it did well. So maybe it'll be easier the second time, but it was worse. And he said he felt like they weren't trusting him from day one because they wanted to make sure it was a hit uh, and they weren't trusting him to fuck up their hit. Uh, detailing why the experience was not on uh, one the creator looks back on favourably, he said, they would show me scenes from Halloween to try and make a point and I'd be like, yeah, I know, I made that movie. Why do you show me that like I've never seen it before? Oh. It's a bit weird. Weinstein's. Seriously, why the fuck are you trying to encourage him to make this piece of shit film again? Like, seriously. (laughs) Rob Zombie originally wanted Daniel Harris to play Laurie and Sherry Moon Zombie to play Linda. (laughs) I'm sorry. Linda, a fucking teenager. (laughs) Sherry Moon Zombie was in like her 40s at this point. (laughs) And she, do you know what? Beautiful woman. She is. And she just she doesn't look like she's in her 40s, but how she does not fucking look 17. <laughs> Bless her heart. She did not look 17 in this film. That would have been absolutely ridiculous. We've never discussed the Rob Zombie film on this podcast before, so for anyone who's not familiar, I mean, if you know Rob Zombie, you know this, but if anyone's not familiar, then Sherry Moon Zombie is Rob Zombie's wife, who we mentioned on Toolbox Murders episode. And we did. He we did mention. casts her in... Every fucking film he makes, as well as his music videos, he casts her in every fucking film he makes. And as we said on the Toolbox Murders episodes, uh, apparently, you know, she doesn't trust any of her directors to work on. That's bullshit. It's just an easy fucking paycheck for you, love, isn't it? It is. And, and sometimes she's shoehorned in. She really is. 
House of Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects. You know what? She played a psychopath really well. She's alright. She, she's not terrible in this. She's not likeable, but she's not terrible. She isn't, like, jarringly bad. But then when it gets to the second film... We'll get to that when we talk about it. Yeah. Apparently he cast her in this film. <laughs> this is my favourite excuse. Why does he lie? <laughs> this is my favourite excuse for casting ever. He cast her in this film because he wanted a tall actress to play Michael's mother, which would explain why Michael grew up to be so tall. There we go. <laughs> Except we don't... We this don't see bullshit! His, we don't see his real dad. No! So we could have just assumed that his real dad was very tall. Why would we need to assume that his parents were tall? Yeah. I'm taller than both my parents. Yeah, but you, you are more likely to be tall if <laughs> at least one of your parents is tall. But we could have just assumed that Michael Myers' yeah. dad was tall. But who's going to watch Halloween thinking, oh, hang on a minute, no, no wait no, a minute. No. Michael Myers is really tall, but his parents are small. Get fucked. <laughs> I ain't buying that. Oh, Rob Zombie. Oh, Sherry Moon Zombie. He cast her because he's married to her. <laughs> At one point, Dimension Studios considered making a crossover film featuring Pinhead from the Hellraiser series. Following the footsteps of uh, Freddy vs. Jason. A poll was held on the official site, but response from fans was negative and the studio dropped the concept. Well, of course they fucking I don't did. think it would work. What a stupid idea. I don't, I don't idea. think... Because it's not supernatural. No. It's not. You know, by the time Freddy vs. Jason had come along, I mean, Jason was pretty much a zombie yeah. anyway. So it worked, you yeah. know? And Freddy comes into the real world. There's no conceivable plot to bring Pinhead and Michael Myers together. It just, yeah, it's two different kind. I mean, for me, Hellraiser, I never really looked at as a quintessential slasher no, film. No, it's not. It's not. It's, no. it's, it's far from a slasher film. And the thing is... People really misunderstand the Pinhead character. Even the fucking studios releasing the films. He's not a slasher villain. No. He literally turns up to collect people and that's it. So what's he going to do? Start having a fucking fist fight with Michael Myers? <laughs> Jesus Christ. During 2013, interviews to celebrate the 25th anniversary of Halloween... Four- this is a long bit of trivia, by the way. Strap yourself in. Um, to celebrate the anniversary like of Halloween 4... <laughs> where she played 10-year-old Jamie Lloyd, Danielle Harris talked about how she got into the role in the Halloween remake and why she decided to do her first on-screen nude scene uh, by going topless. She first heard about the role at a horror convention and her manager got her an audition. Harris said convincing Rob Zombie to cast her came down to attitude and a willingness to bear it all. Okay. And in a film produced by the Weinsteins, that is extremely problematic. Yeah. They asked me how I felt about nudity. This is Daniel Harris, what she said. Uh, I said something stupid like, well, what guy doesn't want to see little Jamie take her clothes off? <gasps> Harris then spent much of the filming topless in front of casting crew running from Michael Myers. She had no problem with being naked in front of everyone because she felt it helped her achieve the right level of vulnerability for her character. As it turned out, nudity was also a major part of her planned reinvention. It was a strategic move on my part. I was facing the challenge of being taken seriously as an adult actor because I was still little Jamie Lloyd from Halloween. To most people, um, to most people that was, doing a hardcore Rob Zombie Halloween film was for sure a no-brainer. She added that taking her top off and running around with her breasts exposed also seemed like a great way to prove she wasn't a little girl anymore, and it worked. All of a sudden, Jamie Lloyd had boobs, so I was no longer Jamie Lloyd. 
I think it made other producers and writers and studio go, okay, she's pretty cute. Okay, wow, she's got boobs. So they started thinking of me in a different way, and then I started getting offers for different things. I'm not sure it was if it was my performance or exposing my breasts, but as long as I was working and doing what I loved, I don't really care which uh, one it was. That is really sad. That is so sad. It's the thing is, I would never ever shame any actress for doing on-screen nudity. No, never. Would never shame. But it it feels weird to hear her say that the only way that she could break through as an adult actress mm. was to expose her breasts. Yeah. Now, if she didn't have an issue with that, then that that's fine. But it, I think it's a sort of damning evidence of how actresses are treated mm. that she felt that's what she needed to do yeah. in order to continue to have a career. Yeah. You know, because she's a fine actress. She is. She, she is. I mean, as Jamie Lloyd, as a child actor, she did really well in mm. those films, you know. She wasn't terrible. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah, it reads very sad, that. And I know it could be read as empowering, you know, mm. if, if that's what she wants to do. She has complete control of her body. If that's, you know, how she wanted to go forward with her career. Mm. But you would never hear a man turn around and say in order you know you wouldn't have fucking Macaulay Culkin mm. turn around and say well in order to keep you know relevant I thought I'd had to get my knob out in the next exactly. film yeah. it, you would never have that <clears throat> ever no no, and... You would, he, you know, and he did a film called Party Monster, which mm. was a more adult-orientated role. Yeah. But, you know, he didn't get his cock out in it. But he didn't feel the need to have to get his knob out. Exactly, and that's the thing with Danielle Harris. The fact that she's out there and saying, uh, you know, Rob Zombie told me I'll get the role if I'm willing to show it all. That's fucking disgusting. That is fucking disgusting. What if she didn't want to? What if he really wanted her in that film and she was like, no, because let's face it, it is unnecessary. Mm. So unnecessary. It, it kind of is unnecessary because there is necessary nudity in, in cinema. Yeah. If there is ne necessary nudity, you know, and again, I will say it until I'm blue in the face. I would never, ever shame mm. an actress no. for doing nudity on screen. No. But it sounds like she felt forced to. Yeah. And that's what's yeah. playing. And right. when Rob Zombie's saying that, for a Weinstein production, yeah. that is really uncomfortable. It, it is. It's. It doesn't... Particularly now, mm. that doesn't read very well. No. Knowing and, what we know now. And it's even more sad that it's only through recent years that she got something as big as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like a, a cameo in that. Mm. Um, before then, let's face it, she's been cast in a lot of low-budget, shitty horror films. Yeah. And it's really sad that she thought, you know, doing this was going to get her the big time and everything. And, I mean, realistically, it didn't. I mean, for, you know... She's a great actress. I love Danielle Harris. actress to continue work. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great thing. There are plenty of actresses who do three or four films and mm. don't do anything afterwards because yeah. it just doesn't work out. So to continually have work... Yeah. I mean, look at her in the Hatchet sequels. Yeah. yeah she's, she's great. I, I really do love Danielle Harris. And I do think she deserves something a little bigger than what she's doing. But, yeah, that story just doesn't sit right. It doesn't sit right. Particularly with the people involved, it just doesn't sit right. No. 
Um, and if you compare the nudity scenes in this, compared to the scenes that they're remaking from the original, they overdo it so much. Linda, in the original, see anything you like scene, you don't even see her boobs at first. No. You see a quick flash from after, but that's it. You know, in this one, she's fucking got everything out. Everything. You know? Yeah. And then Annie didn't even get to make it to Paul in the original. Why can't you just do the same here? Well, obviously, you, you've got to make things different, and you've got to update it for a a different audience, a, a, a more modern audience. I felt with Daniel Harris's nude scene, it it really wasn't necessary. Mm. And do you know what? I, I'm, you know, for equal opportunities. Yeah. Particularly with the Linda scene, I don't understand why she was fully nude. Mm-hmm. But the guy that she was with, you never saw in anything less than... I think he had his jeans on? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. I mean, they were under the sheets. Yes. Yeah. So, Lord knows what he was mm-hmm. wearing. Um, but I'm all for equal opportunities, you know? If the girls have to get it, you know, get it out... Yeah. Because they're having a sex scene... Mm-hmm. Then I think the guys should as well. Yeah. But no, that is not the case here. No, because I'm not the target audience for these films. No Older 2000s. John Hurt was considered for the role of Sam Loomis. That would have worked, and that would have worked much better. Yeah. An alternate ending was shot, then changed by a zombie. In uh, it, it, Loomis survives, and Myers is gunned down by Brackett's men in front of the Myers house. Yeah, just fucking end it there. Do us all a favour. <laughs> Danny Trejo's in this. Uh, his death scene was cut from the work print after studio heads complained about it, but Zombie lobbied to them, stating it was important to show how brutal and com- uncompassionate the character truly is. In the final cut, Zombie Werner was allowed to put the scene in. Uh, we not seen it enough by that point in the film, Rob Zombie? No? No. Uh, total body count, 22 in the director's cut, 24 in the theatrical cut. In the work print, the director's cut of the film, an alternate escaped scene was used. Um... Uh, so, yeah, basically, today we're going to be discussing the director's cut version. There's a certain scene um, that takes place, uh, a bit of a trigger one of a sexual assault. Um, originally, said scene involved Michael Myers killing a bunch of pris- uh, prison guards and escaping. Why was it changed? Mm, yeah. That's the biggest change in the director's cut. Again, unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. Michael Myers killing prison guards and escaping, that makes sense. Yeah. The length that they go to in this scene, which we'll discuss shortly, it's not right. No. At all. No. We're getting into the film. After being committed for 17 years, Michael Myers, now a grown man and still very dangerous, escapes from the mental institution and immediately returns to Haddonfield to find his baby sister, Laurie. We start with... <laughs> fucking ridiculous... Uh, we start with a quote from Sam Loomis, a character within the film, saying the darkest souls are not those which choose to exit within the hell of the abyss, but those which choose to break free from the abyss and move silently among us. Yeah. Bullshit. Um, really cheesy to have a quote at the beginning of your film of a character in the film. If it had been a quote from Sam Loomis from the original <clears throat> film... Mm-hmm. That would have made more sense. Yeah. But it's not, and it's shit. I mean, what he's saying makes sense, but why Why are you have forcing this on us? 
Mm-hmm. Why are you, you know, you know, telling us that Sam Loomis... He didn't say it in the fucking film. <laughs> no, he doesn't. You know? So we get a title card, followed by God of Thunder by Kiss. Uh, and we're in Haddonfield, on Illinois, on October 31st. Yeah, no year necessarily. No. Necessary, apparently. No idea when it's set. Throughout both films, absolutely no idea when it's set. I'm assuming it's a deliberate choice. Um, that it's very um, ambiguous what decade we're even fucking in. Mm. Um, very ambiguous. I'm assuming it's so people don't try. Well, that wasn't in 1973. That was by 1982. That was that. But then that just it makes it even worse, especially when you get to the second film, where you've got black and white TVs yeah. and mobile phones yeah. in the same fucking film. <laughs> yeah. And Weird Al Yankovic as well. And in this film, everyone is absolutely dressed like it's the 70s. Mm-hmm. Even after the 15-year jump. Yeah. <laughs> they still look like they're dressed from the 70s. Michael Myers wearing a clown mask is playing with rats, whilst his mother Deborah Myers and her boyfriend Ronnie White are having a lovely conversation in the kitchen about a certain flirty waitress who has been giving Ronnie the sneak eye. Now... Uh, I hope your mum never listens to this. Uh, are you going to do this? I have the exact dialogue in my notes. Oh. It starts with Deborah questioning. Oh, the whore with the big tits hanging down to her knees. And then Ronnie saying, maybe I'll choke the chicken. Purge my snorkel all over them flappy ass tits. And Deborah says, oh, I hope she likes cripples. And Ronnie says... Bitch, I will crawl over there and I will skull fuck the shit out of you. Followed by baby Laurie crying and Ronnie starting to imitate her because in his words, all she does is shit and cry. Yeah, her name's not Laurie at this point, it's, obviously. No, we don't hear her name at this point. No. But you keep... Uh, all I heard in the first film... Mm. Oh, I want to say Boo. 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 Yeah. yeah. But then I never hear the name Angel... No. But apparently in the second film... There's a reason in the name... trivia. Oh, is there? Uh, yeah. And oh, it is fucking... Me. Spoiler alert. Oh, no. She's called Angel because it's the opposite of evil. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but she's not referred to as Angel in this no. film, is she? Okay. Just so, just so I know, I was very confused. Um, what's also very confusing is, as I said earlier, this... Halloween is a suburban film, the original. The Michael Myers house is in a suburban area. Mm -hmm. Michael actually came from seemingly a well-to-do family Uh in the original film. You know, his when we see the glimpse of his parents, they're dressed nicely, blah, 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 blah. In this film... Again, we're made to think that this is a nice suburban area, Haddonfield. Mm-hmm. But in the middle of it is this Michael Myers house, which is an absolute shithole. <laughs> Looks like a complete dumb. <laughs> These guys look like trash. They, 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 they are. They, absolute white trash. Yeah, they're white trash. They're backwards people. They're straight from House of a Thousand Corpses. Yeah. And Devil's Rejects. Uh-huh. That doesn't work. No. How are they? So, um, Deborah is working as a stripper. Yeah. That's the only income coming into the house mm-hmm. with three children. So, why? 
who are these characters and why are they in the middle of this nice-to-do suburban area? Yeah. It makes no sense. Mm-hmm. This this is not where Michael Myers should be living. No. Well, it is, to a certain degree, if you're being true to the original film, but if you're looking at the characters in this scene who are threatening to school-fuck each other mm. and purge their snorkels on <laughs> random breasts, it doesn't work. No. It no. makes no sense. No. And the more people you meet from Haddonfield as the film goes on, it makes even less sense. Yeah. The quote at the beginning is about evil walking amongst us. Yes. That's the idea. That was the idea of the original film. Yeah. It's about evil coming to a small town and shaking things up. He's an innocent six-year-old child in the original. Yeah. This... Any of these could be fucking Mark and Myers and you wouldn't turn exactly. you know, blind eye at it. You know, They're it's... all really screwed up. Yeah. And this is where the Rob Zombie style doesn't work in the context of this film. And this is within the opening minutes. Yeah. This, this is within the opening minutes. This is straight away. It's balls to the wall. Straight away, people being horrible to each other. What I also don't understand is that Deborah is a very glamorous woman. Um... She is beautiful. You know, Ooh. Sherry Moon Zombie, beautiful woman, looks very glamorous. Yeah. You know, it's first thing in the morning, she's uh-huh. cooking eggs. Very glamorous. And she's with this fella who looks like he's been dead for about two weeks. <laughs> Fucking stick of the dumb. He looks awful. Hasn't had a wash in about a year. Greasy. Everyone in this house, apart from Deborah, is so greasy. <laughs> Even um, what's her name? The sister. Judith. Even Judith looks scruffy. <laughs> to be fair, and I was like, Even the baby. This? Even the baby looks scruffy. Look, who are these people? And why is Deborah the only one that looks like she had a good clean, a good wash? Did because she's married to the director. Did Sherry Moon Zombie not want to sort of, you know? Does she not want to sort of play an actual character that isn't just kind of herself? I, I remember watching this uh, when I was far too young to be watching this. Um, when I was 15, obviously, you know, a few years removed from when I first watched Halloween. It became my favourite film by this point. I'd seen all the sequels. I, do you know what? I love House of Thousand Corpses. Fucking Rob Zombie's remaking Halloween. This is going to be amazing. I read by Fangoria. So hyped up. Got it when it came out on DVD. Sat down with my parents to watch it, uh, expecting, you know, settle scary Halloween. And when you open in minutes, oh, that big, that whore with the fucking flappy tits down to her knees. I was like, oh my God. There's no subtlety. <laughs> Floor there. swallow me up. No subtlety. I just, I kind of wish that maybe the Deborah character, and I know this sounds stupid, but maybe had some sort of. Um, deformity or <laughs> something like I'm, I'm just here and I'm like I it's just stripper Chris remember it's the 2000s that's that's bad oh yeah that's her, her that's lowest, her shame isn't it? Yeah. that's her that's her shame she can only get work being a stripper um that's why she's stuck with this awful awful yeah. man I just it just didn't make any sense no. to me why is she still with this guy who's not bringing anything into yeah. the household yeah. if she's she might as well just fuck off somewhere else yeah Ronnie invites her to sit on his pole. Judith Myers wants cereal instead of eggs because they're gross fucking chicken abortions. Uh, when she walks away to go and get Michael, Ronnie informs Deborah 
that, well, he says the exact line of dialogue, man, that bitch got herself a nice little dumpster. So Deborah throws coffee at Ronnie because he suggests that Deborah's jealous that that her daughter's got a better ass than her. Yeah. <laughs> Judith then tells Michael to stop jerking off and eat breakfast, so he starts screaming at her. Ronnie makes homophobic remarks about Michael uh, and makes a transphobic joke by saying that he thinks Michael's going to cut off his dick and balls and call himself Michelle. And you know who I fucking hate for this? The makers of Hancock. They cast the exact same kid in that film called him Michelle. Really? Yeah. What a fucking terrible in-joke. Oh. Yeah. Oh, God. Two thousands. Two thousands. Yeah. And it's like a really shitty little role as well. It's, it's really degrading. Oh, wow. <clears throat> That's not Excuse good. me. Yeah, just... It, it's one of those things... You know when people say about Quentin Tarantino how he constantly uses the N-word yeah. in his films and people think that he enjoys writing and using that word. I kind of feel like Rob Zombie is similar in yeah. his uh, use of the F-slur. Yeah. Um, we get it six times in this film altogether. And the... Well, a lot of ableist slurs yeah. as well. A lot. Yeah. And it's it's not... And the thing is, it's they're not coming from nice characters. Well, but, you say that. The ableist terms do. Laurie and Annie. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they... Yeah, they yeah. use a couple... Yeah. Oh, that is true, actually. Well, there we go. Another reason to Poor Ben Tramer gets called it. He does, actually. Oh, God. Michael informs everyone that his rat, Alvis, has died. And Ronnie says he'll break his hand over Michael's face once his hand heals again. Michael... I don't know what they... Again, I feel like what they're going for is... The idea is, are monsters created? Mm. Or are monsters born? Yeah. But this isn't the way to go about it. It's Halloween. Michael Myers was a random guy in the original that snapped randomly... And went around killing people. That's it. Yeah. This, he, he's like, oh, okay, no, we need a reason. We need a reason for it. No, you don't. No, you fucking don't. No. Stupid fucking 2000s remake. Having to over-explain it. Every or... fucking 2000s remake, apart from The Hills of Eyes, does this shit. Yeah. Michael's having a piss in the school bathroom when Junie Cortez, Daryl Sabara from Spy Kids, uh, and his friend walk in, having a conversation... They inform him, and I shit you not, again, I hope your mum's not listening to this, Chris. Uh, they inform him that Judith has been selling blowjobs in the school bathrooms, and apparently she had to have the cum pumped from her stomach. They grow up fast, don't they? <laughs> anyone's a Spy Kids fan. I was! I was! I was like, oh yes, okay. Well, we're past that opening scene. This might be less awkward to sit through my parents. Oh, this guy from Spy Kids! Oh yeah, come on, oh, for fuck's sake. So <laughs> Does he kiss Megan Trainer with that mouth? Disgraceful. I mean, he got his knob out in uh, the Green Inferno. Um, that was less shocking than this, <laughs> than all of his dialogue in this film. I unfortunately, I was never really a Spy Kids fan. I, I never, never watched it, films. so I wasn't that shocked. <laughs> he uh, he then goes on to talk about Deborah, uh, show Michael a flyer of the Rabbit in Red, where she's a stripper. And asks if she'd suck his dick for a quarter and let him rub her tits. And then his friend calls Michael a homophobic slur. 
The school principal walks in and breaks the fight up, helping out Michael, but Michael says, fuck you. And the principal's like, fuck me. <laughs> God, Richard Lynch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cast in this film is incredible. Oh, the cast incredible. is so good. Such a good and wasted cast. Yeah. We have fucking Sybil Danning in this film. Sybil Danning. And Ken Foray in the same... Dee Wallace. It is a genre cast... That yeah. is stuff dreams are made of for we genre fans. The woman from Police Academy. I loved Police Academy when I was younger. Yeah, I don't know um, the very well now. What, Police Academy? Do you probably. not remember the whole scene that was hilarious because they went to a gay bar? They accidentally went to a gay bar. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, they did that in American Wedding as well. So. It's true, it's true. Um, but anyway. Um, yeah, Malcolm McDowell. Um, you know... Uh, who else is it? Clint Brad Dourif. Brad Dourif, Clint Howard. William Forsyth. Yeah. Who was Bill Mosley in this film? He was in the scene that's cut. He's one of the police guards. Oh, okay. That uh, makes sense then. Fucking Udo Kier. Udo Kier. This. Yeah. Yeah. But yes, the principal calls Deborah to the school and introduces her to child psychologist Dr. Samuel Loomis. And what a fucking gigantic twat he looks like in this film. Oh, I don't get it. He it's... walks in... All cool with fucking aviator sunglasses and a shitty wig that is even worse than Jamie's in Halloween 2. And fuck me, he looks like a fucking cunt. He looks such an idiot. I don't get the hair. Oh, I'm cool, Loomis, I am. I don't know what he's going for. It's like Grandma shoved a red down the toilet. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, you know... (laughs) Malcolm McDowell, amazing actor. <laughs> Clockwork Orange, uh, If. Caligula. Uh, Caligula, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Um, many, many great films, Malcolm McDowell. Uh, he was great in Bombshell. Um, you know, he's he knows what he's doing. He's a good actor. I don't know where he went wrong. <laughs> Malcolm McDowell is very much like Donald Pleasance in that he's a very good actor, but he'll say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. So... You will get him in absolute crap. Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like his heart was in this, though. I don't feel like he was phoning it in. Yeah. No, he took this far too seriously. But in the when we watched the extras, it was revealed that he'd never seen the original film. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure what he was going for. Yeah. You know? He he thought he was the shit. He thought he was great in this. He is not. Deborah's fuming that she keeps getting called to the school um, because Michael's a psychopath and then she gives the principal a load of abuse. She's like, oh, you keep fucking calling me Danny, you fucking piece of fucking shit. <laughs> and then they show her a dead cat. She's like, so what? It's like, yeah, kids find cats all the time. And then they show her pictures of dead dogs. Oh my fucking God, I can't believe this shit. Yeah. Okay, they've just shown you a fucking real dead cat in a bag, in your kid's rucksack, and you're more bothered about some pictures he found of dogs. He's yeah. dead. I think he. I think she thought maybe he picked up some roadkill for like lunch or something. <laughs> but yeah, so it's revealed that he kills animals. Yeah, and Loomis informs us that this is a sign of deeper and bigger problems, and he'd like to interview and do tests with Michael. And Michael runs out of school as the iconic theme begins to play. 
he then stalks Junie Cortez as he walks home before beating him to death in the woods with a branch whilst wearing his clown mask. Yeah, so this... Did you say Junior Cortez? Junie Cortez. It was named name Spy Kids. Anyone who's seen Spy Kids will get it. Oh, okay. So, uh, Megan Trainor's husband. <laughs> um, in this film, but before he's stalked by Michael Myers, he steals someone's hat. Do you want your hat back? Spits at him. So he's, and spits at him. So he's no, a tw- he spits in the hat. He gives in it back. Hat. Yeah. Yeah, well, he's a twat, essentially. He's an asshole. He's yeah. a bully. He's horrible to everyone. And then Michael Myers stalks him and kills him. Yeah. In the woods. So it's kind of weird morally. Yeah. Because obviously murder is wrong, but we've watched enough horror films mm-hmm. to sort of you get a little bit of, you know, satisfaction from seeing yeah. the bully be killed. So I don't understand what's going on here. Well, spoiler alert, only one character that he kills in this film is likable. Yeah. And that's Dee Wallace. Yeah. Everyone else kinda of deserved it. Well, yeah, I could particularly... This first four kills, yeah. Yeah, particularly at the beginning. So, yeah, we'll carry on, and then we, we can make that point a bit better. And the kills are really shit, by the way. I mean, it's, it's brutal, but it's like, kind of like in a... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not getting as, as much satisfaction from this, because you're trying to make it look realistic, and we've seen a child get beaten with a branch. Yeah. Like, that's not the idea of a slasher film. When people say they enjoy kills in a slasher film, it's not because they're a bunch of fucking weirdos who want to see people get killed, but it's because they're funny, camp, inventive ways that are not realistic, yeah. but they're fun because of that. This tries to do it all realistically... And all of the kills are shit because of this. Yeah, and it's a weird tone. It's very weird. Particularly yeah. this first big part of the film, before mm. we're even introduced to Laurie and the girls, this first part of the film, the tone is so weird. Yes. Yeah. Because it's that scene at breakfast time, it's comical. Mm. Because they're so over the top and ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. And you're like, people like that don't exist. People don't talk <laughs> like that. Yeah. It's so stupid that it's comical. It's funny. Mm. But then you get the first kill and it's trying too hard to be gruesome yeah. and realistic. Even though it's against someone that's a bully. It's, yeah. the, the tone is just out of whack. It really is. Ronnie watches the thing from another world on TV whilst taunting Michael about torturing animals before calling him a homophobic slur. Deborah informs Judith that she has to take Michael <sighs> trick-or-treating. I'm so sorry. I missed something. But I feel like I have to tell the world <laughs> that when Michael runs out of the principal's office, yeah. he runs like Phoebe from Friends. <laughs> Do you remember that episode? Um, no, not particularly. But. So there's an episode of Friends where Phoebe and Rachel go running. But Phoebe runs like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> and Rachel's too embarrassed. So she makes excuses and so on and so forth. And then they both end up running like Kermit the Frog and it's very freeing. <laughs> but when Michael runs down that hallway, it looks like that run. <laughs> His arms are <laughs> flailing, like, what's going on here? <laughs> Sorry, I just had to let the world know that's how I felt. 
Deborah informs Judith that she has to take Michael trick-or-treating, but when she leaves, Judith leaves Michael alone so she could go have sex with her boyfriend, Steve Haley. A person who looks like he should live in that house because he's equally as greasy as everyone else. Oh my god. They could have cooked those fried eggs on his hair alone. <laughs> Shocking. And the thing is, Ju- Judith, she looks a little dirty, but she, again, a beautiful girl. Yeah. And it's like greasy, like, it looks like one of the Culkin brothers. Yes. Um, <laughs> it looks like Matt Tuck from Bullet from a Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like um, Scream 4. Was it Rory Corgan? Yeah. It's kind of like that character, <laughs> but he hasn't washed in about five <laughs> weeks. It's ridiculous. It's like, oh my God, we're meant to believe that this is the Myers house. <laughs> like, wh- what area are you living in? <laughs> this should be like a farming area or something, according to cinematic history. Yeah. There should be some backwards... Pink flamingo <laughs> shit going on. Deborah starts pole dancing to Love Hurts by Nazareth. <sighs> Whilst Michael sits alone looking sad and Judith gets it on with Steve who mistakes Ronnie for being her real dad. How would you describe Sherry Moon Zombie's pole dance? Because it certainly isn't J-Lo in her It's not. It's not. They're very tepid. She hasn't got many customers. She hasn't got... Well, yeah, and it's clear now. Rob Zombie, like in most of the films, is, is ca- shouting to the cameraman, get her ass, make sure you get her ass, get, get her ass. Get her ass. The emphasis is always on her backside. It, it is. And, you know, congratulations, Sherry, you've got a great ass. Be- yeah, <laughs> again, beautiful, beautiful woman, but that pole dance, boring. <laughs> Steve puts on the infamous William Shatner mask and suggests that they do it with the mask on. Yeah, the fuck did he have from? What a fucking shit way to bring it into the fucking film. It is weird. Like, just have him steal it from a shop. Why yeah, is the problem? Exactly. Michael eats some candy corn in the kitchen before randomly deciding that he wants to kill everyone. Have you ever had candy corn? I haven't, but I'd like to try it. I'd like to try it. Can we buy it here in the UK? I don't think so. Mm. Um, Michael starts by putting masking tape all over Ronnie before slitting his throat. Yeah, he deserved it, great. Yeah, and then we're, we're there and, like, sorry, morally ambiguous. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, actually, he deserved that. He was horrible, he was. And then he waits for Steve to have a snack in the kitchen. Well, I don't know what the fuck he was eating. Um, before beating him to death with an aluminium baseball bat. Yeah, I think he was having some bologna. I just like the word bologna. Another character who was a bit of an arsehole. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And then Judith... Kind of, I mean... He, he barely any sort of uh, development, mm-hmm. really. <laughs> I think he had like two lines of dialogue. Judith is listening to Don't Fear the Reaper in her bedroom when Michael walks in, swaps his clown mask for the Shatner mask and starts to feel her up. Yes. And he I look- think, Do you know what? In fairness, I think the boyfriend only actually existed so we could get a sex scene. And the Michael Myers mask. Yeah, and we could see um, what's Judith's breasts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Judith slaps Michael a few times and asks him what he's doing when he stabs her once on the bed, stalks her down the hallway and slices her to death with a knife. Again, they tried to make it look really real. Does not work. He, he looks fucking stupid in the William Shatner mask. 
Oh my god, it looks absolutely... I, I think they were thinking it would look creepy, the Michael Myers mask on a child's body, but it doesn't, it looks fucking stupid. Yeah, I remember Fangoria used this image um, when they covered this film, and I was so confused as to why a child was wearing a fucking costume yes. with that mask, it looked... Awful. It did look so stupid. But again, Judith wasn't even that likeable. No. She really wasn't. No. And Michael approaches baby Laurie but decides not to kill her. Deborah arrives home and asks him what's going on but he won't speak. Which leads to a sapien montage of the news reports where it's being described as Manson-like and more horrific than anything in any Hollywood movie. And Deborah's being dragged away from the corpses. It's, yeah, it's weird that when Deborah returns, he has the clown mask back on. Yeah. Um, because why would he not just keep the, you know, William Shatner mask on? Exactly. Oh, wait, so that he can come back later <laughs> and grab it. Uh, how many years later? <laughs> and the knife. And the knife. And the knife. <laughs> Smith's Grove Sanitarium. FYI, we're now 25 minutes into this yeah. film. And it already has more gore than the first two films put together. And much less... And more swearing. Yeah. More, you know, less character development. development. Yeah. It's Sanitarium, 11 months later. After one of the longest trials in state's history, Michael is found guilty of first-degree murder and sent to Smith's Grove under the care of child psychologist Dr. Samuel Loomis. Michael initially cooperates with Loomis and his mother, Deborah, visits him regularly. Michael wants to know why Loomis talks so funny and he doesn't remember killing anyone. Yeah, yeah, it's like a cheery car, um, a car, um, <laughs> kid. <laughs> I was, I was a kid <laughs> and a child together. Um, yeah, so he's acting like a, a cheery sort of child. Doesn't remember any of it. Um, why? So we can get this fucking extended bullshit scene at Smith's Grove. Yeah, this goes on for fucking ever. Oh my it goes God. on for so long. Um, brings nothing to the film, takes away all mystery and suspense from the original. Yeah. Does not work. We've just had backstory. Yeah. We've just had backstory. We aren't clever enough to think, okay, maybe his upbringing, this is, this is where they're going, yeah. is that his upbringing has had an effect on his, you know, mental health, and that's why he's lashed out. Yeah. Yeah. But no. But this, no, they have to just keep keep it going. This film goes on for this over two hours. backstory. This film goes on for over two hours. Yeah. And it really doesn't need to. So unnecessary for a it slasher It really film. doesn't need to. No slasher film should be over two hours long. Ever. Caretaker Ishmael Cruz, played by Danny Trejo, um, makes friends with Michael and comforts him one night whilst cleaning. Oh, <laughs> Casting the Mexican actor as a caretaker. Oh, Rob Zombie. Yeah, he's giving him some sort of pep talk. But, yeah. Oh, you, you'll be all right. It'll be okay. He did kill quite a few people. <laughs> I don't know why you're giving him a good pep talk. But again, are we meant to think Michael Myers is the good guy? Yeah. Again, you know, him yeah. being friendly with him and everything, are we meant to sympathise with him? Yeah. Over the following year, Michael and Loomis talk more shit about colours and masks. Oh, my God. Oh, a black's not a colour, Michael. Fuck off. Oh, my God. We do. So we get Loomis talking about black being a lack of colour, and then we get the uh, black and white footage reel explaining about primitive masks, and I'm like, are you fucking serious? 
<laughs> you know fucking Malcolm McDowell's like, oh yeah, this is gonna get me a fucking Oscar and shit. This this is the one. This this is <laughs> like this is so deep, everyone is gonna fucking love this. Clockwork Orange, who is she? Yeah, Michael screaming and crying. Yeah. Not sure what the purpose of all that is. Yeah, becomes dissociative, fixating on paper mache masks and withdraws from everyone around him, even his mother. Christmas Day, Loomis Comfort Myers as he screams fucking various sentences. They have a nice little hug together. And then it all comes to a close when Nurse Sybil Damning, Damning? Sybil Danning, sorry, Queen, uh, watches Michael as Loomis walks Deborah to her car after a visit. The Queen herself, Sybil, looks at a picture of Michael and baby Laurie and says, Cute baby, couldn't be related to you. <laughs> Go on, girl. Yeah. And then, so then he kills her. He stabs her to death. Um, with a fork. With a fork. <laughs> So again, are we sympathetic towards Michael? Because, I mean, I know it's an extreme reaction, but he has just been read for filth. <laughs> you know, by Sybil Danning. Of all people. Of all people. So he That's has, a privilege. Yeah. So whose side are we on? <laughs> not Sybil Danning's, clearly. Well, apparently not, because she goes around calling kids ugly. <laughs> Deborah's unable to handle the situation and in a really depressing scene, she shoots herself whilst watching the Myers family home videos. Yeah. <laughs> Before this, we get a way too long scene of sirens and an audible slow-mo screaming and shouting. <laughs> I fucking hate when films do that. Hate it. It goes on for ages. So she shoots herself. Okay. I just don't understand because... Deborah is has been the most sympathetic character uh-huh. throughout. So if you're gonna give this backstory, then surely he should have killed Deborah. Yeah. And that's the turning point of him yeah. becoming fully evil. Mm-hmm. You know, the switch yeah. has is gone and he's completely disassociated with the world. And he's the killing machine that he goes on to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't understand. I just don't understand how it helps the backstory or how it helps the development of the character of Michael Myers that you've spent way too fucking long mm-hmm. on in this film. Yeah. When he could have killed his mum, and that would have been us knowing that. He's completely gone yeah. now. And we feel bad because Deborah was just trying the best for her kids. Yeah. I don't get Whereas it. Whereas we've still just seen him as someone who kills bad people. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. 15 years later. 15 years later, yes. An obnoxious new security guard, Noel Clugs, starts being racist about Mexicans to Ishmael. And Michael continues making his masks and not speaking to anyone. Noel gives Michael some abuse before they walk him to see Loomis. Loomis, having continued to treat Michael over the years, attempts to move forward with his life and closes Michael's case after telling him that Michael's time with him in Smith's Grove has been longer than his first marriage. He also tells Michael that he's become his best friend, an example of how fucked up his life is. (laughs) Which is interesting character development for Loomis. Yeah. Because we've said it throughout the podcasts. 
Like, well, what the fuck's Loomis? He's obsessed. Yeah. He's, you know, and that's never really touched on in any of the sequels. No. That would have been an interesting part if it had been developed more. Yeah. But it wasn't. No. He then does a talk for his new book, The Devil's Eyes, the story of Michael Myers, and his talk consists of a very Loomis speech about Michael's eyes and being evil. It's fucking boring. It is, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't... He hasn't got what Donald Pleasant's had in the old monologue department, has he? No. Uh, and now we enter the scene I gave the little warning about earlier. Uh, one of the nastiest scenes in any Halloween film, or in any, probably in any slasher film. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll go there and say that. It's uncomfortable, absolutely. Later, Noel and Kendall, another obnoxious security guard, take a Smith's Grove patient into Michael's room, and I shit you not, they take turns raping her. After Myers, after asking Michael uh, if he wants to turn, and asking if he wants some fucking pussy. It's so strange that this is the only other patient we see in any of these films. Yeah. Uh, if these films, excuse yeah. me, these scenes. Um, yeah. At Smith's Grove. Uh huh. It's the only other patient, and she's only brought into the film. So that she can be sexually assaulted and raped. Mm-hmm. And that's a plot point that allows Michael Myers to escape. Yeah. It is disturbing that this is the only alternative Rob Zombie had to having him just kill a bunch of, a bunch of prison guards and escape him. Exactly. Why did he desperately want this in the film? I don't understand. It's, it does makes, nothing. It, it makes no sense. Again, it's one of those things that if you're going to have this in the film... And I would would never turn around and say that sexual assault should never be in films. No. But it needs to be dealt with and it needs to be dealt with properly. And it's not just some plot point. It's not just some throwaway thing. For exploitation. For exploitation. It's not. That's not how these things should work. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's completely pointless. There are... Dozens of other ways that Michael Myers could escape that cell. Yeah. This was not it. This was not it. It's worlds apart from what could have been done. It really is. There's there, there's no way. If I was writing a scene for a film and I was like, oh, okay, I need a way for someone to escape. I wouldn't even consider this. It doesn't make any sense. If he's trying to let us know that this film is surrounded by people who are terrible people, we fucking know. Yeah. We know from every other scene so far. Loomis is a piece of shit. Michael's a piece of shit. His whole family was pieces of shit. Like, we know. Yeah. And and we're, again, when he kills them and escapes, we're then like, oh, yeah, you go. You kill them. They deserve that. Well, that's the thing. For the whole scene, they're, they're calling Michael, um, you know, the F word more times, more slurs. Um, just in case, you know, the rape wasn't enough to show you how terrible they are. And then, Michael Myers only kills, starts killing them when one of them, Kendall, touches his masks. Yeah. In his room. He doesn't even do it to save the girl from being raped. No. But even so... Which, which is an idea of him disassociating from everything. So he wouldn't, he wouldn't be aware of what's going on mm. because he's completely shut down. You know, he hasn't spoken for 15 yeah. years. I mean, that, for me, that part kind of makes sense. But it's unnecessary. 
Yeah, but he still kills these terrible people again. Yeah, like he he took he chokes one of them, throws him across the desk. That's all he gets. Mm. You know, after what he's just done, that's all he gets. Yeah, uh, he drags Noel out of the room with his pants down and slams his head against the wall, which I feel is meant to be comedic with him having his pants down, even though we've just seen him raping someone. Yeah, yeah. Hishmael comes to work, finds all the Smithsgrove staff and security guards dead. Tries to take Michael back to his room. But Michael kills him by slamming his head around uh, random places, shoving his head in some water and dropping a TV on his head. I mean, that's the moment where Rob Zombie wants to say, oh, oh my God, this guy's terrible. Well, that's that's the thing. And this is the moment where we're into think, oh God, he doesn't care anymore. He's just going to kill anything. Um, Which, too little too late, if I'm being honest. Way too late. And the fact that he keeps repeating, I was good to you, Mikey. Mm. I was good to you, Mikey. It's like, yeah, we get it. We get what you're doing. You don't have to keep repeating this. Dr. Copplinson, played by the legend is Clint Howard, calls Loomis to tell him that Michael has escaped and there's been a fucking massacre. Truck driver, um, Big Joe Grizzly, played by Ken Foray, goes for a shit whilst looking at porn at a service station. Because you can't even have someone go for a shit in this film without doing something sleazy. Um, I mean, obviously, looking at porn's not sleazy, but when it's put in this character in this filthy toilet who was talking to the magazine, it feels sleazy in the film. He then tells Michael walks in, he's like, Look, buddy, I have a Taco Deluxe Supreme talking back at me. Can you leave me in peace whilst I release the beast? <laughs> Sorry, Michael sure. murders him. Very for- mature. <laughs> Michael murders him for his clothes and makes his way back to Haddonfield and Mr. Sandman plays. Yeah, I love Ken Foray. He's so good. <laughs> He's so good. He's funny. We're now 54 minutes into this film and mm. it's decided to start remaking Halloween. Yes, this is it now. Yeah. Haddonfield, Illinois, October 31st. We're introduced to Cynthia Strode, Dee Wallace and Mason Strode, her husband. Uh, and they're discussing how Nichols Hardware are going out of business. To which Cynthia is glad because that place is a rip-off. And in our first scene, introduced to Laurie Strode, she joins the conversation by saying, Oh, Mr. Nichols tried touching me up the wrong way. Oh, he tried molesting me. And then starts rubbing bagels over her tits. Yeah. She then says, Want a screwdriver, mummy? Want a hammer? Look at this. And then starts finger-banging a bagel in Cynthia's face. Laura Strode, our all-American girl, a likeable all-American girl who wouldn't do anything wrong to anybody and is nice and innocent and someone to feel relatable to. I can understand modernising the character. You know, it's been the best part of 30 years. The Laurie Strode in 1978 wouldn't exist in 2007. This is 2007, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not making that up. Uh, wouldn't exist in 2007. She wouldn't. It would be weird. It would be strange. You know, kids are a lot more savvy mm. by this point. But that doesn't mean you can start finger blasting a bagel in your mum's face. I mean, kids aren't like that. No one does that. No one acts like if it, she She's acts. still being portrayed as the good girl. Mm. Now, you know... It's a different kind of good girl yeah. to the one that existed in 78. Yeah. But that's it still doesn't mean... They start screaming about 
old men touching her from the get-go. Yeah. Like, what is that? All three girls in this film just sexualise everything they talk about. And everything. It's always about old men fucking them. Yeah. Lori is joined by Tommy Doyle, played by Skylar Gisondo, who'd go on to be in Booksmart's Santa Clarita Diet, um, the new vacation film, he's Rusty Griswold's son, The Amazing Spider-Man, he's had quite a big career since this. Yeah, he's, he's, I like him actually, he has yeah. a likability. Um, he's obviously the kid she babysits, he's got the 70s haircut, for some reason. Yeah, again, I'm not sure what, when... This is sad. And Laurie goes to drop the keys off at the Myers house. And when she goes there, uh, Michael's already there. He's now uh, recovered the kitchen knife and the Shatner mask that he stored under the floorboards the night he killed his sister. Tommy warns her not to go there. Uh, and because Laurie's obnoxious, she pretends to be dragged into the house and she posts the keys. Yeah, so in the original film, we get the idea that Tommy Doyle is annoying. Yeah. And that Laurie is a a bit annoyed. Yeah. But because she's the good girl, she doesn't let it show. No. In this film, the moment she sees Tommy, she's like, Ugh, leave me alone, Tommy. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking to me for? Yeah. I'm like, oh my God. You're meant to be a nice babysitter. Yeah. You're our final girl. What are you being horrible uh-huh. to kids for? Michael sniffs the papers and the keys, and then we get Laurie Strode. He and does, actually. What the fuck was that for? <laughs> we get Laurie and her friends Annie Brackett, played by Danielle Harris, and Linda Vanderklok, who uh, prepare for Halloween by discussing what's happening with babysitting. Annie wants Laurie to babysit, uh, pretend to babysit Lindsay Wallace so she could fuck Paul, and Laurie notices Michael watching her from the window. Which brings no suspense to this film whatsoever. No. Linda has a story about cheerleading. That's shortly after. Before that, we get Loomis uh, talking to Clint Howard again, an Udo kid this time. Um, and he just quotes his book at him. He says, he is mad that trusts in the tameness of a wolf. And then he drives off and like, where's, where's he going? He's like, Adam failed. And then drives off. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a way too extended pit, uh, a bit where uh, he... Doesn't say Haddonfield. Yeah. He's like, you know where. No, no, you know where. Yeah. Yeah. Haddonfield. (laughs) Completely unnecessary. Linda, yeah, Linda calls her cheerleading teacher a cunt because she told her off for something and threatened to call her dad. Yeah, so she said that to make the cheer more exciting, they should all show their snatches at the end. Oh, lovely. Because these girls constantly talk about vaginas. It's weird. It's so weird because the girls constantly talk about vaginas, but they don't talk about cocks. Yeah. Where you would think it would be the other way around. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're going to have the savvy girls, modern girls who know everything and they talk about sex and they're not scared of sex, blah-de-blah-blah. Mm-hmm. Why do they constantly talk about vaginas and yeah. breasts? Uh-huh. That's not, you know, they would talk about men's bodies. Yeah, But they absolutely. never they never do. No. Because this film is written by a man. Uh-huh. And these characters are written, was written, were written by a woman in 1978. And in 1978, this is one of my favourite scenes of the film because, as I mentioned on the episode... It blends camp and scary perfectly, but in this scene, it is one of my least favourite scenes in the film because it is fucking obnoxious on another level. They don't have any defined personalities. Nor do they have any sort of chemistry. 
No. Like you look in the original, you're like, know. okay, these are these are friends. These three yeah. girls are friends. Here it's like, okay, these three girls are acting. Yeah. Annie joins them and uh, slut shames Linda. She starts saying, oh, Linda, it's just slut. Linda talks about how a French teacher wants to fuck her. So, oh, yeah, he really wants to fuck me. Oh, oh man. Oh. They see Michael watching her from a distance. And, you know, you had the cute scene in the original. Hey, isn't that Devon Graham? Like, hey, speed curls and all that. And here, as soon as they see him, Linda's like, hey, do you want somebody young stuff? They want to fuck me. And Annie's like, hey, fuck off. My dad's the sheriff. And he does. He does, actually. Yeah, just, just fuck off. It's like, oh, my God. I, I wanted him to walk over and just murder all three. There and <laughs> Sheriff Lee Brackett, played by Chucky himself, Brad Dourif, uh, pulls up beside them and asks if they want to ride. Annie accepts, uh, but Linda and Laurie continue walking because riding in pig m- uh, bacon mobiles makes Linda nauseous. <laughs> and then, as soon as he drives off... Which is like, a very 70s thing to yeah. say. <laughs> as soon as he drives off, um, Linda's like, I fucking hate pigs. Oh, do you see the way he looked at me? Do you think he wants to fuck me? Oh my god! No! He probably doesn't, Linda! He probably doesn't! Mm. I'm sure Brad Dourif does not want to fuck you. Laurie goes home as Michael follows her. Cynthia tells her she's still not happy about the bagel incident. Understandable. Loomis visits Chester Chesterfield, played by the uh, recently deceased Sid Haig, rest in peace. She His name is act- actually Chester Chesterfield, Chester by the way. Chesterfield. But she she acts like the bagel thing was completely out of nowhere. Yeah. And that's not Laurie's personality. Uh-huh. So why the f- why the fuck have it in the fucking yes, film? Yes, exactly. If you're going to act like it's completely against Laurie's personality, but that's all you've fucking shown us. Yes. So we as viewers think that's her personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, even even Chester Chesterfield kind of a conversation without saying fuck every few seconds. And um, they discuss Malcolm, uh, Deborah Myers killing herself. And they discover that Deborah's gravestone is missing with a dead coyote uh, on a cross instead. Yes. We didn't get a title card saying trick or treat for some reason. No reason whatsoever. Linda and her boyfriend, Bob Sims, go to have sex in the Myers house. And she's fuming because she because he came too early without warning her. She then gives him a zero out of ten for his sex skills and tells him to go and get her a beer. Yeah. Michael watches then this whole time. Linda turns the radio on, which is conveniently playing Don't Fear the Reaper, um, before calling Laurie to tell her she can't start thinking about Annie slut shaming her. Really, that's all you can't think start thinking about. It seems to me like that wouldn't really bother you. It well, I mean. You have you've constantly talked about your vagina. Yeah. You've constantly talked about all the older men that want to shag you. You essentially said, you know, that you were going to get your vagina out at the end of a cheerleading routine. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of slutty. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not... And if you're going to own it, fucking own it, girl. Exactly. Whatever. But don't oh, fucking moan about people calling you a slut. And also, it's like your best friend. It's just a bit yeah. of banter. <laughs> like, she probably didn't actually mean anything by it. Seems point. She calls up just for that. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. Bob puts a sheet over his head and glasses before Michael kills him, pins him to the wall with his knife, and uh, steals his disguise. Now, in the original, that was Michael Myers thinking on his feet. Yeah. That was scary. You know, he just randomly thought, oh, I'm going to pretend to be a ghost, whatever. 
Why did we need another explanation for this? Yeah. Michael and Ford goes to Tyre, takes the beers to Linda. She says, see anything you like? Hey, Casper, the fucking asshole, friendly ghost, pass me my beers. Oh, my God. Can't you just say, can't you get your butt ghost, Bob? What's wrong with that? Can't get ghost, Bob. She talks shit as she walks over, fully nude, to grab the beers from Michael, and he strangles her to death before carrying her away. And this scene feels really pervy, really sleazy. Yeah. It's the... It's a weird sort of a, a thing that I don't get with a lot of films is when the actress is nude whilst being killed. Yeah. Like, is this for titillation? Mm. I mean, it, uh, uh, is the audience going to... Are they meant to enjoy it? Exactly. Are they meant to enjoy the bit of nudity? Yeah. Even though she's being murdered? It just it doesn't sit well. You could have had the nudity before. Yeah, I mean, she she just had a sex yeah. scene for God's sake, you know why why do we have to watch her getting strangled? What you know, and then having to see her body. It's like I said in the original, you see a quick flash of her boobs. It wasn't the point of the scene. No, it wasn't. Here, the point of the scene is like all oh, is this actress fully nude. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And then Michael carries her away fully nude after. It's like, oh come on, really. Mm-hmm. Loomis buys a gun uh, from the drummer of the Monkeys at his gun store. Yeah, that's a weird cameo. Such a weird cameo. Annie picks Laurie up. Mason asks Cynthia if they're going to have some loving tonight. But because Cynthia is the only sane fucking character in this film. She's like, no, I'm, I want to talk about a vacation we're going to book. Oh, oh, she's talking like a human being. Oh, my God. Oh, no, she does say that you'd get some later. Yeah. But she wanted but to talk about the vacation. She actually first. feels human. Yeah. Michael storms into the house after slitting Mason's throat. Uh, and bashes Cynthia around a bit before showing her a picture of Laurie and killing her by pulling her head back a bit too far. I'm assuming it's breaking her neck. But it's like... Okay, this is like the only likeable character you've shown us in this film and you're still going to give us a brutal death for her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. <laughs> Laurie's babysitting Tommy, who has his face painted like uh, The Fiend from The Misfits artwork. She winds him up about the boogeyman and says that, and he says, Lindsay can't come over because the guys will mock him for having a girl over. Because girls suck. <laughs> yeah, essentially. And uh, she's not a boy and she smells like Laurie. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no. Fucking Laurie probably stinks in this film. Michael watches Lindsay watching the thing from another world. I just don't know, like, how old is Tommy meant to be? Like, ten? Ten. So, in seven years... You know, they've gone from boys smell, girls smell, I don't want boys round, to every older man wants to fuck Yeah, me. yeah, basically. Yeah, um, Michael disappears when Annie walks in and tells uh, Lindsay to get her coat on so she could take her to see her late night lover, Tommy Doyle. Don't talk to a fucking child That's like that. weird. Loomis attempts to warn Sheriff Brackett. Um, that Michael has returned to Haddonfield, but of course, this is a Halloween film, so he's like, are oh, you fucking kidding? There's no way. Why would Michael Myers come to Haddonfield, you fucking idiot? <laughs> Annie informs Laurie um, that she got Paul to ask Ben Tramer out for her. They start to describe him using uh, ableist slurs, and Annie pretends to fuck Laurie and tells her that Ben Tramer said to Paul, and she quotes, dude, she's fucking hot. And then Paul picks Annie up. 
Yeah, Laurie's like, uh, because Annie's like, well, you need a boyfriend, Laurie. You need. A, I don't need a boyfriend. I don't need a boyfriend. And then she, she, uh, she, <laughs> she thinks for a second, and she's like, oh, I do need a boyfriend. <laughs> now, well, clearly, what she means is she needs a shag. Yeah, because basically. that's all they think about in this film. These women. Brackett informs Loomis that he's read his books, he doesn't like him, and he thinks he created a monster out of the town's tragedy. Brackett tries calling the Strode residence, but no one answers, and we get to see their dead bodies, and they head to the Strode home. Annie and Paul are having some sex with some really sexy dialogue. Do you want to hear it? Yes, please. You want to fuck me? Yeah. I want to hear you say it. I want to fuck you. God, it's so fucking warm. Him referring to her vagina. Yes. It is the least sexiest sex scene I have ever fucking seen in my life. Even the room was like fucking top tier eroticism compared to this. So, it's nice and warm. Well, it doesn't last too long. No, Michael, Michael here's cock blocks in. Paul. Yeah, cock blocking. Yeah. Ma- Michael then attacks a topless Annie uh, for a Quite a prolonged period of time. Of course. And drags her out of the kitchen. Yes. So, we don't see her killed. No, but this is a scene that got her in the film. Yes. In the trailer, she's got a bra on, by the way. Has she really? Yeah. I so, if you shot that scene... so difficult? You shot that scene with the bra on... Yeah. Put it in the fucking film. What are you doing? It just doesn't... Because it's... If you're putting it there for titillation, then it just it's just weird. so weird. I find it so strange, mm-hmm. um, this sex and violence together yeah. thing. Whereas, you know, in slasher films, the girl will go for a skinny dip. Mm-hmm. You get your little, you know, five, ten seconds. Yeah. You know, um, you're making your audience happy. And then she's killed. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it feels like in this film, the two emerge together. Yeah, and it's so strange. It's really strange. I don't I don't like it. It doesn't sit well. Brackett explains it's along the... Only a prude, I don't, whatever. No, no, it's fucking weird. No one should enjoy that. I mean, seeing someone murdered whilst they're naked. What the fuck is wrong with you if you, you enjoy if that? If you're going to get... But if, if it's there for... So if it's there... And what they essentially was saying was it's vulnerability so it's the vulnerability of being nude and being stalked which i mean we've seen psycho we didn't see we didn't see everything janet lee had to show and it still worked yeah she was nude vulnerable yeah it added to the scene yeah it makes sense um but the only way this makes anyone vulnerable is I feel like the actress seems vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, it just doesn't sit well. Bracken explains along the way to Loomis, um, on the way to the Strode home, that Laurie is really Michael's baby sister, having been adopted by the Strodes following their mother's suicide. Shock. <laughs> Completely unnecessary to bring this back as well. Like, uh, I ju- as a plot shit. point, it didn't work fucking 30 years ago. No. It still doesn't work now. Bringing Lindsay home um, and leaving Tommy alone because she's a great babysitter, 
Laurie finds Paul hanging with a pumpkin on his head and Annie badly injured on the floor but still alive. So she calls for help and tells Lindsay to run home and get help despite being in Lindsay's house. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't got far to run. Run home, get some help. Like, um, this is a house? <laughs> it's you that doesn't live there? Loomis and Brackett hear the call over the radio and head towards the Wallace residence. And Loomis says, he's found her, he's found her for God's sake. Oh, sorry, is it a big inconvenience for you? Yeah, so Laurie calls the police from the Lindsay's house. Yeah. So the Wallace house, Mm -hmm. yeah. Lindsay runs back to the Doyle residence with Tommy Doyle, yeah? Yeah. So... Police officers come to help, mm-hmm. but they end up at the Doyle residence, <laughs> even though Laurie called from the Wallace house. Yeah. Which I find a little confusing. Uh, the scene has a, a, a throwaway scene as well. It's probably my only the only scene I like in this film, where Michael walks up to Pumpkin Paul and just stares at him, whilst Lynn's, uh, Lindsay, uh, Annie's on the floor, obviously can't do anything, and then yeah. walks away. But that, that's it. That's, that's all we get. Michael attacks Laurie and chases her back to the door residence where he uses super strength to break through the front door. Laurie, Tommy and Lindsay hide in the bath whilst the police show up and Michael murders the police and kidnaps Laurie before taking her back to their old childhood home. Michael Myers is way too tall in this film. It, it's not scary. What's this like immediate... Oh, because he's tall. He's, no. No. Um, yeah, so that's what the police get for going to the wrong house. Yeah. Brackett and Loomis show up at the Wallace house and find Annie. Tommy and Lindsay tell Loomis about Michael kidnapping Laurie, so he heads to the Myers house, where Michael tries to show Laurie that she is a sister, presenting a picture of them with their mother, along with a lovely display featuring Linda's nude corpse, Deborah's gravestone, and a pumpkin. Because Linda's nude body, nude corpse needed to, nude corpse needed to be seen again. Absolutely, because. You know, Annie's corpse in the original one didn't work well enough. (laughs) Unable to understand, Laurie begins a painfully long sequence of cat and mouse by stabbing Michael before escaping the house. Michael chases her into their empty swimming pool because they have run down house. You know, that shitty house they lived in when they were younger had a swimming pool. Yeah, apparently (laughs) had a fucking swimming pool. But Loomis arrives and shoots him three times. Considering when she was stripping, there was only like three customers there. She could afford a nice yeah. fucking house. I know, yeah. If had a pool. But it looked shitty from the front side of it. It yeah. looked abandoned. Yeah. Recovering, Michael smashes through a car window and recaptures Laurie after she asks Loomis if that was the boogeyman. And they head back to the house. Loomis intervenes, but Michael subdues him by crushing his eyeballs. Laurie takes the gun and runs upstairs, but Michael... After Loomis is now inside for some reason and tries stopping him by grabbing his legs with his eyeballs back in place, um, corners on a balcony and charges a head on, knocking both of them over the railing. Now, I provide you a very short summary of that scene. Thank God. It goes on for 15 minutes, and I shit you not, it's the only time we've done this for the podcast because, you know, we want to be thorough. We forwarded it a bit. Yeah. Because this shows the same shit. Over and over again for 15 minutes. It's not suspenseful. It's badly lit. And there's nothing to feel there. Because Laurie's been unlikable this whole time. They're just going around his house over and over again. It's so fucking boring. He's got nothing on the original. And that end no. sequence. No. 
So, um, Laurie, and yeah, don't forget, Loomis has had his eyes gouged out. Um, they've just reappeared magically, um, but he, you know, he's supposed to be dead, whatever. And remember that for Halloween too. Laurie awakens on top of an unconscious Michael. She aims the gun at him, uh, with Michael's hand grabbing her wrist just as the gun is fired in his face. And she does her annoying scream one last time as we reach the end of the film. Yeah, so just one shot to the head. Finishes them up, yeah. apparently. Uh, a shot that's completely ineffective, apparently, for the next film. Yeah, yeah. Shh. And that's Halloween 2007. Yes. The end credits show some old family videos of a yeah. young Michael. Because he was the main character in the film. Uh-huh. Um, and he was the... Uh, the protagonist. Yeah. His final girl against Laurie. <laughs> yeah, he was the final girl against her. It's a shame he didn't live, to be fair. He was just fighting for justice, wasn't was. But yeah, it's my least favourite Halloween film after this rewatch and analysing it for the podcast because it's fucking dire. Oh my god, I gave it three stars out of five first time I, I watched it. I have absolutely You give no it a higher rating than me, fucking hell. Ridiculous. Awful. I regret that. It's fucking dire. Awful really in every is. way. I think watching all the other films yeah. has made me realise that in comparison to the other, this is absolutely dire. Yeah. And in comparison to the first film, it's it's night and day. Yeah. It's complete opposites. Mm-hmm. Awful. Just truly awful. It's bloated. Um, it's, it's way too much. Way too much. Way too over the top. The characters are way too over the top. There's too much swearing in it. And I know that makes me sound like a prude. No, no one talks like no, that. No, It's like it was written by a fucking 12-year-old who only just learned how to exactly. swear. Exactly. Um, it's... There's no subtlety whatsoever. No. The characters aren't likeable. Even the ones that are meant to be likeable aren't. Mm-hmm. And then the one that isn't meant to be likeable... It feels like they're trying to make likeable, and that's so confusing. Mm-hmm. Really, I just it really awful, Re- really bad. Just go and watch the original Halloween and House of Thousand Corpses instead, and it's done the job for you. Yeah, have a better time. So badly managed, really is. On to our Michael Myers through the years awards round. Oh shit! Yeah, <laughs> this is about fucking that. difficult. Best kill. I, I've got this with a question mark, Bob. Yeah, it's a poster. I mean, it's the most cartoony nice killer little, of the film. Yeah, a nice little throwback. Um, I suppose the dad, the stepdad getting his comeuppance with the, and he's tied Maybe. up. Maybe. So yeah, it was nice to for him to be quiet whilst Bob, he was being. Killed. I mean, yeah, I mean, Bob's was more inventive. Um, one good scare. Um, Michael staring at pumpkin Paul, I guess. No. <laughs> Clutching at straws. No good scares. <laughs> Uh, most likable characters, of course, Cynthia D. Wallace. Yeah. That's partly because you love D. Wallace. And because she's a really nice character. Yeah, she's barely in the fucking film. Uh, yeah. Most unlikable characters, every fucker else. It everyone really else. It really For the is. The second week in a row. <laughs> second film in a row. Genuinely, everyone is so annoying. They really are. Even Lindsay and Tommy yeah. are annoying. Yeah. Which sounds weird to say about children, but yeah. And that brings us to. H2, Halloween 2 from 2009. They called it H2 on the original posters. Did they so really? It, it's oh. like, you're not Terminator 2, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Directed once again by Rob Zombie uh, on a budget of $50 million. And this only made $39.4 million at the box office. Hence why we didn't get Halloween 3. Thank God. Um, 
Now, I never thought this day would come. Uh, because I have sworn to everyone I've spoken to, this is the worst Halloween film for fucking years. This is better than the first film. And better than, like, three other Halloween films. <laughs> yeah, it is, actually. It was surprisingly better than I had anticipated. I hadn't watched it until uh, the podcast. Better than I had anticipated. Yeah. Not great. It's not a good film. It's by not. By any means. No. But it has better aspects to it. Yeah. Uh, and fucking, it was at least more entertaining than the fucking last one. Yeah. Yeah. John Carpenter was offered a cameo in this film by Rob Zombie, but he turned it down. <laughs> Don't blame him. Rob Zombie originally stated he would never do a sequel to Halloween 2007 until the studio decided to make it. Then he signed on to write and direct, but he didn't want someone else to ruin his vision. And his vision is fucking something in this film. He can't fuck it up himself. <laughs> his, his vision. <laughs> the world wasn't ready for you, Rob Zombie. We're still not. Maybe one day. Um... <laughs> Due to his miserable experience working with the Weinsteins on the uh, Halloween films, Rob Zombie has disowned them, especially this one in particular, uh, which according to him had worse studio interference. Okay. Uh, Daig Farch, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, filmed scenes reprising his role of young Michael Myers, uh, but was replaced and the scenes reshot after it became apparent that he had a growth spurt um, since the last one. And no longer look the same age. Yeah. Yuri Kastin is not subtle. No, no. <laughs> they don't look that similar. Just because he has long blonde hair doesn't mean he looks like him. <laughs> the decision to give Laurie the name Angel as her own name, as I mentioned oh. earlier, was meant to emphasise her as an extreme opposite to Michael. Laurie Strode's birth name in the original film was Cynthia Myers, hence Dee Wallace's name, in 2007. Yeah. And, and shut the fuck up with the angel thing. Fuck yeah. off. That's fucking bullshit. We're not idiots. We fucking know. Yeah. Jesus. Way too on the nose. Although with this character, actually, maybe we don't know. Because but she's just, fucking awful. Considering <laughs> the other two kids were Michael. And Judith. And Judith. <laughs> and an angel. Like, really? Whilst writing Sam Loomis for the sequel, Rob Zombie based his egotistical and self-absorbed personality on Dr. Phil and his talk show. Yeah. Yeah, we don't like Dr. Phil. That's no. The way he treated Shelley Duvall, we don't like Dr. Phil. Bill Mosley, a Rob Zombie regular, was actually scheduled to appear in this film as the bouncer in the strip club, um, but he only worked for one day. The studio interference caused him to quit the shoot and leave. This forced Rob Zombie to scramble to hire a replacement actor quickly, even though there was no time to hold auditions for a recast. Jeff Daniel Phillips ultimately had to fill in for this role, even though he was already playing another character, Uncle Seymour Coffins, in the same film. Do you think Bill Mosley would have been believable as a security? No. As a bouncer? No. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think all these stories about like Bill Mosley quitting and the shit time that Rob Zombie went through really just says it all about the wine scenes, doesn't uh, yeah. it? Yeah. They're just fucking awful to everybody. Um, in addition to the studio interference that compromised production, Rob Zombie also strongly suspected that the crew members were actually stealing money from the film's production budget. Oh, wow. Yeah, you thought Six was a shit show. Jesus. Though the film opens with an explanation for the meaning of Michael's toy white horse, and it frequently appears alongside his mother in hallucinations, Rob Zombie said it doesn't really have any deeper meaning than what is already established in the film. So to counter many fan theories, um, trying to explain its significance. 
The toy horse is simply a representation of Michael's lost innocence and nothing more, as is a toy from his once happy childhood. According to Zombie, he picked a white horse as it was more cinematic and that it really could have been anything else instead, including a fire truck engine. Rob Zombie, you're a bullshitter. What a load of shite. Fucking bullshitter, you pretentious bastard. This is only in the film because you wanted your wife in the film. No, yeah, <laughs> but also there's a whole thing at the beginning saying what white horses mean yeah. in dreams. Yes. Yeah. If it's just White Horse is the toy he had when he was younger... Yeah. Then why do we start with a whole explanation about the uh, psychosis of fucking dreams and the subconscious and White Horses? This film and its White Horse bullshit is legit uh, an example of a director being so pretentious to the point that the entire film is him wanking over how pretentious he is. It, yeah, it it, it really is. It makes no kind of sense. Yeah, and and the thing is, you say what you want about studio interference, bitch. This is in both versions, and this is easily the worst thing about the film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When Rob Zombie had to have a few days' worth of footage shipped off for developing at the start of production, the film canisters were accidentally X-rayed by airport security, ruining the film's reels and forcing several days' worth of reshoots. Should have just given up then. As the shooting locations for this film was moved to Georgia, in contrast to the first film being shot in California, Rob Zombie and the film crew had to work around shooting in the, f- the shooting film in gloomy and humid weather, which is very unpredictable. The scripts had to constantly be altered to accommodate sudden rainstorms, sometimes forcing shooting to be indoors. The hospital scene, for example, where Laurie makes it out to a rain-soaked parking lot was not scripted and the rain wasn't staged rain. It was real weather. Oh, my God. That's some fucking heavy rain. Yeah. I thought it was staged rain. Poor Scout Taylor Compton. Oh, my God. (laughs) That's sure it's going to be dangerous in some way or another. That's a fucking heavy downpour. Yeah. Wow. The film was originally scheduled to be appropriately released on Halloween of 2009 to capitalise on the holiday, but the film, uh, before the film, was abruptly pushed forward two months ahead of time to August for the theatrical release. This compromised the post-production schedule as it slashed a few weeks out of the editor's schedule, um, not giving them enough time to edit the film properly for a release. It makes no sense. Why wouldn't you just wait until October? Why are you so desperate to get the money... Mm-hmm. Your potential money, when actually the film probably would have done better yeah. in Halloween. Yeah, <laughs> it's so weird. I mean, as as we sit here now, Halloween Kills is doing great money, being released in October. Yeah, absolutely. George's AETF department at one point shut down production on the film after a false claim was made that the film's shoot was an unsafe workplace environment, slashing even more time from the already tight shooting schedule. Bitch, it probably wasn't a safe shooting environment. No, maybe not, no. That's someone crying out for help. Yeah. Body count is 20 in the uh, director's cut, theatrical cut 19. Again, we'll be talking about the director's cut for this, for this one. Uh, the original Halloween 2 took place entirely in a hospital, although the 25-minute dream sequence at the beginning of this film, where Laurie is running from Michael, is in a hospital, is initially thought to be an intentional homage to said film. Uh, Rob Zombie has since denied this. Oh, shit. Especially because he has stated that he didn't even like the original Halloween 2. 
Then why are you copying this? Why? It is an exact copy of that scene. Of the, it, the whole film. The whole fucking Halloween 2. I mean, it makes sense. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make any fucking sense no. because this whole film is set a year later, so the dream sequence could have been set wherever he liked. Yeah, but he chose a hospital. Yeah, Halloween two from nineteen eighty one that he has watched. Okay, if he didn't like it, whatever, but he would have watched was set in a hospital. Yeah, there's there, there's no there's no denying the influence. Because ultimately, the hospital sequence was pointless. Yeah. <sighs> Sherry Moon Zombie comes back as Deborah Myers. So Even though her character commits suicide in her first film. In this film, she appears once in a flashback to Michael stay in the ward and has an hallucination to a grown Michael Myers. Because these hallucinations never happened in the first film and don't have much relevance to the film's plot, it's commonly agreed amongst fans and critics that the only reason they're in this film was just because Rob Zombie needed an excuse to get his wife in this movie, even though her character died. And that is the truth. That is the absolute truth of the matter. <laughs> For both this film and the previous film, series producer Maleka Card, son of the late Mustafa Akkad, gave Rob Zombie his blessing to ignore his father's conditions for the Halloween series. Akkad had a list of rules um, for the Halloween sequels that filmmakers had to follow if they were to direct an instalment. Uh, one of the vo- most famous ones being Michael Myers Can Never Die. Um, but Malek Akkad gave zombie permission to ignore them and do whatever he wanted, which is why Michael Myers is supposed to be dead in this film's ending. And in the first film's ending as well. Yeah, in each of the films, he essentially dies at the end. He just comes back. Yeah. But there's always that little stinger at the end where it's like, okay, he's not dead. Yeah. Uh, Apart from H2O, of course. A popular fan theory of fans of the Halloween franchise is that Rob Zombie's original intention was that Michael Myers died when Laurie shot him and all his appearances in this film are hallucinations. In the end, it would have been revealed that all murders Michael committed in the film were actually committed by Laurie and she hallucinated Michael committing them due to developing dissociative identity disorder because of the trauma of the first film and genetically disposed mental illness. Uh, Laurie's inclination to insanity has been confirmed by Zombie in his commentaries and the making offs. That would have been interesting, but obviously there's a massive physical difference between Michael Myers and Laurie. Mm -hmm. So the kills would have had to have been within the constraints of Laurie's size and... Yeah. Rob Zombie had never intended to make a sequel and to make sure one couldn't be made, he had Laurie fatally shoot Michael Myers at point-blank range in the face in the first film to officially kill him off. However, because it was a huge financial success, Dimension Films greenlit a sequel against Rob Zombie's wishes. He begrudgingly came back to direct so that nobody else could ruin his vision. This resulted in a plot hole, as there's no explanation in this film for how Michael survived his fatal injuries without immediate, uh, without immediate medical attention, uh, especially because in the Rob Zombie versions, Myers is a human with no supernatural elements, as well as this, Loomis is dead. Loomis had his eyes gouged out. Yeah. And he comes back with no eye problems whatsoever. No. The theatrical cut ending was a reshoot enforced by the Weinsteins. The original ending saw all principal characters, including Laurie, killed off, which didn't go over well with them. To keep the possibility of yet another sequel open, Rob Zombie was forced to reshoot the ending where Laurie survives and walks out of the shed wearing Michael's mask instead. Great. 
yeah. Again, we're talking about the director's cut version, one, the one where they all die, spoiler alert. Um, but th- there was plans for sequels to this where it was going to be Laurie and Michael killing people together. It was going to be a 3D sequel. Stop. I'm so glad Stop. they left it at this. Yeah. Laurie Strode struggles to come to terms with her brother Michael's deadly return to Haddonfield, Illinois. Meanwhile, Michael prepares for another reunion with his sister. And we open with White Horse. Linked to instinct, purity, and the drive of the physical body to release powerful and emotional forces like rage with ensuing chaos and destruction. An excerpt from the subconscious psychosis of dreams. Yeah, don't tell us the author. No need. (laughs) Also, what's the point of that? Because apparently the white horse was just a toy he had as a kid. Yeah. And that's, that's the link to Michael Myers. So what is this linked to instinct, purity, <laughs> and the drive of the physical body to release powerful and emotional forces like rage <laughs> with ensuing chaos and destruction? I mean, it makes sense to a certain degree. Um, why his mum's always with the horse doesn't make any sense. <laughs> because he needed to cast his wife. Because he needed to cast his wife. None of this shit ever came up in any of the other sequels. And it is the worst idea. It really is terrible. It's worse idea. than the court idea. And now I said it, it is worse than compromising the court. Why don't you just have a few flashbacks? Yes. Yeah. If you want to do it in the film, just have a few flashbacks. You could literally just have this opening scene. She still gets a paycheck. Exactly. During his time in Smith's Grove Sanitarium, a young and recast Michael Myers is visited by his mother, Deborah, who gives him a white horse statue as a gift. It reminds him of a dream he had about his mother dressed all in white with a horse wanting to take him home. And then we get the title card and it's 15 years later. Did you miss the bit where she tries to remember if he's ticklish or not? Oh, yes. Like, yeah, of course. What the fuck? Here he is. He's just murdered your other daughter. Are you ticklish? <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, no, I'm not. Oh, what the fuck? Title card, 15 years later, Laurie Strode screams and she's wandering around in shock and covered in blood after having shot an adult Michael in the face. Yes, she, um, Sheriff Brackett finds her walking down the street covered in blood with the gun. She keeps repeating, I killed him, I killed him, I killed him. Uh, Then we get Laurie at the hospital screaming about whether she's going to die or not. Oh my God, literally... Yeah, this whole film is all she fucking does. She screams and shouts at people for the whole film. One of the doctors is uh, Caroline Williams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We get to see Laurie having surgery and stitches because that's necessary. Yeah, very nice. For another two-hour slasher film. Um, yeah, the paramedics meanwhile pick up Annie Brackett and Michael's psychiatrist, Doctor Loomis. Uh, who survived being attacked by Michael despite having his eyeballs crushed. Yeah. I'd like to remind you again. Uh, and also, uh, and just to take them to the hospital or whatever, I don't know. Um, Michael, oh yeah, also Michael's body is taken in another ambulance. Yes, he's going to be taken to the county for an autopsy or whatever. Yeah. The two paramedics who take him there uh, have an interesting conversation in the ambulance. And yes, I've got it down. One of them says, did you get a look at that naked chick? Linda, of course. Man, she was F-I-N-E. Fine. She still looked fresh. I heard a story about a couple of meat wagon boys fucking corpses over in Essex. I ain't never had the urge until tonight. The other guy's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If Sheriff Brackett is just saying this, he'll have your ass. Why? He's a paramedic. I don't know. Yeah, I did find that worse. 
which he says, I'm just saying, she still looked good to me. Nice little titties hanging out. I got wood just sit blocking her up. The other guy says, what's the difference between jam and jelly? You can't jam your cock up a dead girl's ass. And to which the other guy says, cow, cow. And they crash into a cow. They do. They cr- and this is this must be a fucking meaty cow. Because it does some fucking damage to the it vehicle, does. doesn't it? Michael Myers escapes in this film because of a cow in the, of middle the of the cow road in the middle of the road. That they weren't paying attention to because they were discussing fucking corpses. Just a reminder, you are watching a Rob Zombie film. Yes. Um, so this th- takes me back to our discussion about... Nudity and death scenes. Yeah, this kind of confirms it. And so this is a conversation about how awful it is, the idea of getting your jollies from a corpse. Mm-hmm. But the first film gives us some TNA whilst they're being murdered. Yeah, but at the same time, you still got this character here is like he wants to do it. Like he yeah. is, he is getting erections from corpses. Yeah, but the idea is that he's a dirty perv. Mm. Um, but... Um, I don't know, he's probably a nice guy compared to everyone else in these films. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is what Rob Zombie considers a, a nice guy. So, after they've ran into the cow, the less pervy of the two dies, yeah. and the other one just starts yelling fuck over and over yeah. again. Fuck, 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 it, fuck, yeah. fuck, fuck. Um, Michael awakens with his face and his mask all in one piece, despite being yeah. shot in it. Yeah. And he decapitates the other paramedic with a piece of glass and escapes after seeing his mother with a white horse. Yes, yeah, so we see Deborah, she's in a white dress, just like Elsa, and uh, she's got white <laughs> hair, and she's with a white horse, yeah. and Michael goes towards... It's like Goldfrapp. Towards them, yeah. She's well. She never rides the white horse, which is the weird part. It's just next to her. I mean, this is a great death scene. Now, this is this is what I'm talking about in slasher films. This is what we need. Like it is fucking gory, but it is stupid. He has been decapitated with a piece of glass, but it goes on for ages. The sound editing is fucking great. It's really detailed. Yeah. And despite how stupid the white horse scenes are. The cinematography surrounding them looks great. Yeah, it does actually. You know, it looks better than the first film. Yeah. These are where the improvements start to come in. Slight improvements. Laurie awakens to the moody blues playing Knights in White Satin on TV and goes to visit Annie whilst nurse Octavia Spencer asks her to go back to her room. Now, first of all, again, when are you set film? This is a black and white TV with the moody blues playing live on TV, playing one of their songs... Clearly from like the sixties or seventies. But this is also a dream sequence. It is, but they also, but she also has a black and white TV in her bedroom. Yeah, but where does the dream sequence start? In the same time that the first one ends. Okay, so the cow mm. is that a dream sequence? Is this part of the dream? That's the thing. This sequence this makes is the confusing no part. Sense. I mean, zero sense. Because, spoiler alert, he kills Laurie at the, at the end of this dream sequence. Now, are you saying that's what happened and she's revisiting it? How is she still alive? Yeah. What happened in that sequence after the first film? If you don't want to touch on it, don't include it. Like, don't just shove this in there making absolutely this no sense. This is the sense. confusing part because, obviously, we've got to... If the dream is just her in the hospital 
So the moment we see Octavia Spencer, the dream starts. Mm. Yeah. So what happened before is what actually happened in real life. The whole cow thing. Mm. And it is explained that Michael Myers' body has not been found. Yeah. But if the whole of this is the dream sequence, that makes no sense. Yeah. But I wish it would have differentiated between the two more clearly. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, the big reveal is that it's a dream, but... In our minds, we go back, oh, oh, did she dream about the white horse then? Mm-hmm. Well, how does she know about the white yeah. horse? Anyway, Octavia Spencer, the best actress in the whole film. <laughs> um, Octavia Spencer is a damn fine actress. She is. She is in, before her Oscar win for The Help, she was in the most random shit, mm-hmm. um, in very small roles, in very very clear um that she was held back in her career might as well say it probably because of her race yeah and um her weight mm-hmm. you know and and uh preconceived notions of beauty on film yeah um i mean i remember her and uh, we watched ugly betty recently yeah. didn't we and mm-hmm. she played a character that was obsessed with betty's dad mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, this don't sit well. No. Knowing that she's a fucking fantastic actress. Mm -hmm. And I'm so pleased that she's finally getting the recognition and the roles that she deserves. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, But she's not in this for long because um, (laughs) soon enough she is brutally stabbed to death by Michael as he grunts. (laughs) And the other nurse calls her Octavia. Yeah, she calls her Octavia. Yeah. <laughs> um, this whole grunting Michael thing is fucking stupid. Whenever he's killing someone, like, rah, rah, rah. Yes, yes. stop it. <laughs> stupid film. Laurie escapes, finding other corpses along the way, falling into a big pit of them at one point. Somehow he's had the time to do all of this, you know. Yeah. She hides in Buddy, played by Richard Rael, who has been in everything from the Golden Girls to Hatchet. He's in fucking everything. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's so good in hatches. Well. He is. He's he is so good. And cracking moustache. Yeah. Um, the security guards. Um, he's security guard. Laurie hides in his office. He comes back, tells her to wait there whilst he gets his car. Knights in white satin again, starts playing, on his TV. Uh, he gets an axe to the back from Michael, who then breaks his way through the office wall and window before attacking Laurie with the axe, and she wakes up on October 29th, one year later. Yes. Also, Rob told me, what the fuck? Why is, uh, the, why is Buddy getting a simple axe to the back, yet Octavia Spencer gets killed like she called his mum fat? Like, what the <laughs> fuck? What is going on? Why is she getting this brutal death? Well, if it means more screen time for Octavia Spencer, then I'm happy. Laurie wakes up screaming, is now living with the brackets. Yeah, she's got a tramp stamp, and she she's has. done something weird with her hair that I don't she understand. She is fucking messing this film. She, yeah, and that bathroom is just oh great. The whole house. Brad Dourif wouldn't own a fucking house like that. No, and Daniel Harris would sheriff. not let him own a house like that. He's the sheriff. Why is the place looking like such a shithole? I, mean, I get that they were in hiding, but what? They had to hide in that place. Like, is it abandoned? Did they just fucking move in without telling anyone? They're Jesus. not hiding, are they? Yeah, well, he's trying to hide Laurie. That's the reason they're out there in the middle of nowhere. Are they in the, in the middle of nowhere? Yeah. Oh. 
Oh, there's no sense of location in this film. But no. From I what I can assume, this is the middle of nowhere. No, no, it's just out of Haddonfield. Oh. But Michael walks every, every inch of Haddonfield in this film for some reason. Yeah. Um, you can tell they lost footage. Michael has been missing and is presumed dead. Laurie deals with her trauma by having to go at Annie for absolutely no reason at all. Let me remind you, we're talking about the director's cut, and this version just includes all these scenes of Laurie being a fucking bitch yeah. to everybody. Um, and then she goes to speak to her therapist, play, played by the legend that is Margot Kidder, um, and she's obnoxious with her. And she's like, oh, you fucking cunt. It's like, oh, I want to murder Annie because she reminds me of what happened. She's a fucking bitch. Oh, fucking bitch. I fucking hate her. And uh, this therapist has one of those paintings on a wall. I don't know what they're called. We have to interpret uh, what you can blocks. see. Okay, yeah. yeah. And of course, Loris is a white horse. <laughs> Which is, but it's very clearly, it's clearly a, a white horse. horse. <laughs> it's very, very clearly a white horse. And poor Milo Kidder and poor Annie. Like... Oh my god, the shit they go through in this film because of her and her fucking baby ways. Oh, it's unbelievable. This is not Laurie Strode. The idea is that this is how she's dealing with her trauma from a year previous. Yeah. That's the idea. That's what they're trying to do. But again, they're not dealing with it. No. This is dealing with it even less than H2O. Yeah. It's like, okay, so you deal with trauma by being horrible to everybody and then becoming a killer. Yeah, which which I mean could work if that's what if that's what the film is about. Yeah, the film is about her dealing with the trauma. She's an asshole. Okay, why is she an asshole? You know, give us some story here. Mm. Give us some development, some character. Yeah. But it really is just her being an asshole to yeah. people. Speaking of which, Doctor Loomis is back. I'm talking about suddenly becoming a fucking arsehole. How many... Uh, yeah, uh, he's chosen to turn last year's tragedy into an opportunity to write another book. And since having his eyeballs crushed, he has turned into an obnoxious, egotistical, misogynistic piece of shit. He's got this weird, bitchy relationship with his publicist. Yeah. Um, he turns up in a limo. Mm-hmm. He's got a limo now. He's got a lovely new moustache. Um, he made a really lovely joke about his publicist being a carpet muncher. Yeah. That was hilarious. He reads her outfit to filth. He obviously watched The Devil Wears Prada recently because <laughs> he demands a cup of PG tips. I, I swear. A splash of milk, sizzling hot. I swear. When I originally watched this, I swear he's like, get me PG tips, bitch. And you always I don't told know why that. it's been I edited out. So I swear. I swear that was in this film. I was so looking forward to hearing the words PG tips, bitch. He might as well. He's like, no, no, no. This is the wrong picture. This is old Loomis. Was well, looking at a picture of himself in the iconic Loomis jacket. I'm not going in there until you get me a cup of PG tips and a splash of milk. And I want it sizzling hot. So, apparently, when Gary doesn't like a film, he just makes his own film up. I mean, I, it's a better line of dialogue <laughs> than what's already in there. And with how misogynistic it is, it would make sense. Yeah, so he's now become this weird version of Gail Weathers and Miranda Priestley. <laughs> and Wendy Williams. He is absolutely Wendy Williams. Wendy Williams. <laughs> Wendy Williams has, like, lemon tea. Like, oh, the tea is hot today. 
<laughs> Sizzling Speaking parts. of cunts, um, Laurie works for a record store where the boss thinks... I thought, no, she doesn't. Is she not? It's not a record store, it's a There's coffee shop. records everywhere. Uncle meets Java Hole. Oh, it's probably both of them. Um, she works for a record store... Uh, I think it's a coffee shop. Slash, it's a Java Hole. Where I'm the sorry. boss thinks that she should turn up late to work more often to make her more interesting. And her two friends... Uh, well, one, no, do you know what? I was going to say they're both not as obnoxious as she is. One of them is. But even she doesn't quite reach the level of They barely of get any recognition. Yeah. Uh, barely get any screen time. No. Um, <laughs> then cut to a video interview with Michael Myers where the camera's just facing him. Lewis is doing another talk for his book. And well, he's like... <laughs> one, of, one of her friends, sorry to interrupt. One of her friends, Harley, uh, threatens to flash the old hippie dude... Um, so that Laurie will go to the costume party that evening. Yeah. Um, so we're getting very similar... Yeah, vibes. ...dialogue, very similar vibes to the first They all love film. old men. She calls her boobs little lady lumps because yeah. of 2009. Um, I thought that was your ass. My humps, my humps, my lovely oh, lady lumps. Not in this film. Oh. Um, yeah, so we get a camera pointed out, recast Michael Myers, <laughs> Loomis's voice saying... Michael, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your mother has passed away. <laughs> the kid goes, she'll be back. <laughs> He's like, right as well, right. though. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's refreshing for Loomis to not believe someone. <laughs> well, Loomis like, no, I'm afraid to tell you. She won't be coming to see you again. And the kid's like, I'll see her again, but I won't see you. <gasps> what? Yeah, you will. You're just a psychologist. Where did that happen in the first <laughs> Yeah, isn't it like 15 years later when they... <laughs> He's seen for 15 years, just dumb bitch. <laughs> Loomis talks shit about Michael being evil, um, talks about impulses based on parents, uh, how sexual impulses are based on your mother, uh, rage is based on your father, and how he essentially become a surrogate father for Michael Myers, one in a long line of different men. Okay, so you're slut-shaming Deborah That's Myers so now rude. as well. Jesus Christ, Loomis. He then starts cracking jokes whilst answering questions. Uh, no one's laughing. Someone asks if Michael's actually dead and he snaps like, Michael Myers is fucking dead. Do you gossip mongers want me to spell it out for you? D-E-A-D. Yeah. And then we see Michael Myers who is very much still alive. Very much still alive. So it's a perfectly legitimate question to say, I know, oh, yeah. you know this guy whose corpse they didn't find? <laughs> the guy you were talking about in your fucking book. Yeah, do you think he's still alive? <laughs> yeah, Michael's alive. Um, he looks like a homeless man. Yeah, he, does. he has a really long beard, really long hair. He constantly wears his hood in this film. His mask appears and disappears every now and then. Yeah. Uh, currently, when we first see him, he's not wearing his mask, living as a drifter, uh, and has been having visions of his mother's ghost with the younger version of himself, uh, who instructs him to reunite with Laurie. Okay, I get you want to get Sherry into the film, Rob, but fuck, what is with this younger version of Michael Myers? Yeah. Fucking hell. <laughs> Well, literally, shit. Halloween's coming, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! He left his calendar. Uh. <laughs> Thanks. I got my phone with me right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm a drifter, so. <laughs> Michael arrives at a farm. Um, he uh, he gets a beating with baseball bats by the farm owners. Uh, so he puts his mask on that he just pulls out of nowhere. Yeah. Pulls out the grass. He's got massive pockets. Um, slashes one of their one of their eyes. Uh, 
impales the other one on deer antlers attached to the truck, yeah. stabs another one to death whilst grunting. He only grunts when he's stabbing women. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> eats their fucking dog as we cut to the brackets and Laurie eating pizza. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> the brackets and Laurie, they're eating pizza. Uh, Sheriff Brackett's educating the girls on Lee Marvin. <laughs> And uh, his performance in Cat Baloo, in particular. He then starts talking about a man being genetically inclined to eat meat. As we see Michael cutting up the dog to eat. <laughs> Lovely. Very subtle. Very subtle. Uh, you know, he, we all know he ate a dog in the, in the original Halloween. But we don't fucking see we it. <laughs> we don't need to. <laughs> Laurie has some sort of telepathic connection with Michael now. Uh, and as he eats the dog, eats the dog, she begins to puke. So yes, yeah, so we're back to Michael Myers having telepathic connections with people again, because that's really what we fucking needed. Yeah. Annie goes to comfort her, and she apologizes for being a bitch earlier. Only time you let her apologize. Yeah, it doesn't last very long. Uh, Michael has some weird black and white dream about his mum, who is now wearing black, not white. Oh, no, this is Laurie's dream. Is this Laurie's dream? dream? Yeah, yeah. Oh. He looks like he's watching it on a screen though, because you see him sitting there staring into space, oh. and then it goes to Laurie's dream. Um, yeah, <laughs> this dream. So Laurie <laughs> a bizarre has... series of events. So Laurie has some weird black and white dream about Deborah, who is now wearing black, and finding. Well, I've got Boo or Angel, as Laurie is lying on a dining table like the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. Laurie is then grabbed from underneath the table and wakes up from the dream. Yeah. In in this so, and, and then I got confused so I'm not I'm not sure who was having this dream. Yeah. Who was imagining all this? Um the people eating um Laurie are all men in uh Victorian outfits and pumpkins for heads. Yeah. Uh, and there's a skeleton with the Michael Myers mask on it. Yes. It's this is exactly where Rob Zombie was wanking over how pretentious he is. Yeah. This is not art house. It's not surreal. It's bullshit. That's what it is. It yeah. is bullshit. It is not cool. It is not scary. It is bullshit. It is stupid. It is laughable. It, You're a Halloween film. Come on. Yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to what the film's trying to do. Um, it would have worked better in a more subtle film. Yeah. Having these dream sequences. I'm assuming they're a reference to silent horror films that Rob Zombie's such a fan of. Probably. But it's time and place, isn't it? Yeah. It just doesn't work in this context. October 30th, homeless Michael enters Haddonfield. Loomis chats up. <laughs> but it's like... For, for I one of many it was times. like the ending of The Breakfast Club <laughs> when he's walking and then there's into the, uh, into the horizon. Yeah. I was expecting one arm to go up <laughs> as he was entering Haddonfield. Um, Loomis chats up a news reporter outside of the Myers house when his PA pulls him aside. She thinks he's in bad taste promoting his new book outside of the Myers house. So he says, I'm selling a sizzle, not a steak. It's business, woman. And she says, well, I think it's a mistake. And he's like, you do, do you? When I want your opinion, I'll beat it out of you. Now take that and go sit in the car. Go, get your ass in there. And she, he then pushes her towards the car as she takes his tea away. 
Oh my god. This misogynistic piece of shit. He he deserves a better death than what he gets. But where has this come from? Gouging out his eyes, apparently. Apparently. Tends to be a person. There was no inkling of this character trait no. in the first film. And now, you know, I'm all for these remakes being different to the originals. That's the point. Um, but sometimes in the original, things work. Yeah. And in this one, the whole, like I said, Gail Weathers, Miranda Priestley shtick, it's not working. No, it's not. I'd rather see Loomis shouting in children's faces again. Exactly. At least he was shouting in the kids' faces for a good cause. And it is in bad taste. He is not a likeable character. No. Going to the place where this tragedy has happened to sell your book, you are an antagonist. You're not a good guy. Yeah. Nothing about you is likeable. Exactly. But what does this bring to the film? Fuck all. Calling your PA woman and pushing her towards your car. Fuck off. Laurie has an hallucination uh, in a bizarre series of events where she's Michael in the first film where he kills his stepdad. Um, Ronnie is replaced by Annie and this weird obsession Laurie's got with hating Annie. Uh, and she says the following lines of dialogue after slitting Annie's throat. Fucking die, you fucking bitch. I'm going to fuck you right in your throat. Die, you fucking bitch. I'm going to kill you, you fucking cunt. You fucking cunt. Die, you fucking bitch. Okay. Right. Whilst you get flashes of her shaking her head whilst Annie bleeds to death in her dream. Yeah. But this isn't explored. No. Any further. Oh, we see her in a glass coffin as well, shaking. Yeah. But... This is an interesting aspect of her hatred towards Annie mm. and that being part of her dealing with the trauma is very interesting. But all it all it really is is her shouting in a dream. Yeah. And also, if she hates Annie because she reminds her of that night, then should she not be going after Annie's father as well because he was there? Should she not be going after Tommy Doyle or Lindsay Wallace? I mean, she had more to do with them that night than she did with Annie. I think it's a guilt thing as well. But but this is something that the film could explore. We shouldn't yeah. have to sit here trying to... When so much of the film is on the nose, yeah. we shouldn't have to sit here and try to explain yeah. how Laurie deals with trauma. No. If that's what the film is about, then it should be clearer to us exactly the intent of the filmmaker. Yeah. An even more bizarre scene next. Lindsay, uh, Lindsay, Laurie whinges at Margot Kidder again. Uh, literally, it, is, it absolutely grinds on me hearing her talk in this film. It gets on my last fucking nerve. She is the most annoying voice I have ever fucking heard. Like, she is... Oh my god, it's awful. She whinges at Margot Kidder where she tells her... But when she saw a guy dressed as Frankenstein's monster yelling perverted things at kids and she enjoyed it. She then saw kids at a farm. She then talks about her hallucination and starts shouting in Margot's face about wanting more medication. She then starts swearing in her face and ends the scene by saying she quits her therapy sessions because you're more fucked than I up to... I'll try to get it right this time. You're more fucked up than I am, you crazy bitch. And that's it. She was also upset that a pig took a liking to her, which I thought was a little strange. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just another scene of her shouting at people for yeah. no reason. And, and she enjoyed an old man being pervy to kids. Our yeah. protagonist of the film, 
You fucking serious? Brackett watches Lewis's interview with the news reporter on TV where he says there's new information within his book about Michael and makes fun of Michael's body being missing. And in some Oscar-worthy dialogue, Annie goes to Laurie's room where she's drinking a can of beer and says, what's with the booze? And she says, oh yeah, me and my new best friend. In that exact voice. And she says, is this how... Tilly? <laughs> yeah. Is this how your new friend, work friends roll? She's like, Jealous. You know what, Annie? I don't need your shit. And then she just starts going on about I'm putting up with her. And Annie, in, in a really empowering scene, because yes, this is absolutely what Laurie deserves, tells her she puts up with her shit 24-7. Exactly. And she's had enough of it. She's not impressed with her anymore. Good. Big Lou, the perverted Frankenstein's monster, uh, is on TV talking about how his girls at the Red Rabbit and Red Club... Uh, have the greatest tits in town. So he owns the strip club that Deborah Myers worked at all those years ago. Still in business. Yeah, they're still using her image on their advertising. Yeah. And uh, advertising their connection to Michael Myers. Yeah, 16 years later. Keep it classy. Um, He's watching the report himself in the club with Howard. Um, the doorman, the barman, like the only member of staff they have there. Yeah. Uh, and a stripper. Yes. Howard takes out the trash when he bumps into Michael. Well, um, Frank is tends to be the um, butt of the joke, isn't he? Uh, it's Big Lou. Big... But Frank's the other guy. Howard. How, who the fuck is Frank, then? Him when he was talking about himself being Frankenstein's monster. Oh, shit. I thought the um, <laughs> doorman was... His name's Howard. Howard. So Howard's the butt of the joke. Yeah. Um, and as he's walking away to take the trash out, he mutters under his breath, enjoy your fucking herpes, old man. <laughs> <laughs> he bumps into Michael and calls him a dirty, filthy hippie. Michael doesn't take too kindly to this. He doesn't like to hear the truth. Uh, knocks into the ground and stomps on his face multiple times uh, whilst his mother and younger self watches. Yeah. In a great, great death scene. This is very much what 2018 redone. Uh, yeah. With a single stomp. Yeah. But it, it is great. And the practical effects look really good as well. Um, for some reason, Deborah's given Ramona eyes. The eyes, <laughs> the eyes are, are popping. The eyes are popping. But she revisits her pole. <laughs> she does. She has a little reminisce. It's she's all, in a white yeah. dress. She goes back on stage. She looks like she's ready to do a pole dance, but we never actually get to see her do one, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, I'm so surprised we don't. Um, Big Lou's about to get some. Yeah, he um, <laughs> he, he puts on the Frankenstein monster's mask for the uh, for the occasion. Part of it. Part of it until Michael arrives and attacks him. Well, we can't miss out the dialogue. Oh, no, we certainly can't. Well, he says it's midnight, so the stripper says so. My pussy's not going to turn into a pumpkin. Lovely. He says that means it's Halloween, baby. So he puts part of the mask on. And then whilst he's having sex with her, he says, I'm going to give you my jolly green giant. Lovely. Michael has strung up Howard with club lights. He appears, bashes Big Lou around, causes one of his bones to break out of his uh, skin. And uh, then, because, you know, same series of films as the last one, we see him smash around the fully nude stripper in some mirrors multiple times. Yes. Just as unnecessary and uncomfortable as Linda's death. Yeah. Then it's October 31st. <coughs> it is. It's Although Halloween. we've already been told that. Big Lou's already told yeah. us that. But 
Um, we needed a title card to uh, remind us. Everyone's reading it. The new book from Samuel Loomis. The book is out. It's bigger than the new Harry Potter. It is. Bracket is absolutely fuming yes. at the book. He calls home, wanting to talk to Laurie, but Laurie's already left for the day. Mm-hmm. Um, Laurie isn't best pleased with a store display of Loomis's book. Well, before that, <laughs> I hardly you missed this. Like, you must have notes about what this. What did I miss? Michael, who's now back uh, outside of Haddonfield again, <laughs> after travelling into Haddonfield for Rabbit in Red, he is now in a complete random location on the outskirts of Haddonfield, mm. in the woods, again. In the woods, may I remind you, where there's a big billboard advertising Loomis's new book, which he stares at with his mother and child self. Yeah. And Deborah says, he's still out there, rich and famous because of our pain. I hope he's having fun. <laughs> I did get that, but they were intercut with each other. Yeah, Lewis is now doing a book signing and uh, asks a customer if she's a real redhead before she walks away. Yeah. Yeah, so Laurie, Laurie was fuming at a book display yeah. and then Michael and, and Deborah were fuming at the billboard. Yeah, in no, the middle of the woods. In the middle of the woods, yeah. No, I did, I did get that, but they were intercut with each other, yeah. so I was doing one than the other. So, yes, after asking a customer about her pubes, um, Dr. Loomis is confronted by Chet, the bringer of death, who asks him to sign his book and tells him that he loves how Michael is so much deeper than Dharma and that bitch Bundy. Yeah, that's a play on the weirdos who love their serial killers. Linda's dad gives Loomis a picture of Linda in his book. And tells Lewis that his monster killed her before pulling out a gun on him. In a scene that I feel is supposed to be really serious and deep, but it's fucking so funny. Yeah, it comes across ridiculous. It, it's trying to be serious, but it comes across as funny. Yeah. Loomis and his PA discuss the incident in his limo and she tells him that she doesn't agree with what he's doing because he's toying with people's lives. He doesn't give a shit. Laurie's... Purchased the book. She has. She's having a read of it. She's having a read of it in the car. And <clears throat> like everyone else, she's absolutely <laughs> fuming. She gets home and starts shouting at Annie before storming out, telling her to tell Bracket that Angel says, fuck you. Yeah, she drives off, starts beeping her on and going, fuck, fuck, out the window. <laughs> yeah. For some reason. She goes to her work colleague's yeah. place. Um, and takes absolutely fucking ages to explain <laughs> that she's just learned that she's Michael Myers' sister. <laughs> I need to tell you. <laughs> oh my god, shut up! <sighs> Loomis is interviewed on <laughs> talk show The Newman Hour with Weird Al. Yeah, so again, the timeline's so weird, because Weird Al is in this film. Um, He doesn't do too well on the TV show. (laughs) He pretty much ends up embarrassing himself and being ridiculed by the host and Weird Al. Yeah, they completely humiliate him, and he is fuming. His PA thought it was a great great (laughs) appearance, though. Um, Laurie's friend, colleague, Harley, uh, who she dressed up as... She's dressed up as a chick, dressing up as a dude, trying to be a chick. Yeah. 
Um, Dr. Frankenfurter from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, so she's single-handedly tearing apart every gender construct. Yep. Um, she's really doing doing it for the kids. A child dressed as a clown trick-or-treating bumps into Michael and asks if he's a giant and if they can be friends. Michael decides not to kill him yeah. for some reason. You know, the ruthless Michael Myers, who doesn't stop for anyone. He's like, nah, nah, I'm not going to kill this kid. Uh, um, yeah, I suppose, I mean, that's what he was like in the original with um, Lonnie, or whoever, yeah. whoever the fuck it was. So the idea is that he stalks his victims, but that isn't kind of how it's played it's not how it's out in these no. versions of the film. No. Um, anyway, the girls turn up at the party. Laurie and her other friend are Magenta and Columbia from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. Annie has a go at the police officer who's been assigned to protect her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harley is invited back to a dude's van. He's We don't see his face, actually. He's just got no, a werewolf just, mask on. Yeah. Um, I mean, before this, we see that Captain Clegg and the Night Creatures are playing a gig with topless dancers. And yeah. the same guy who played Howard is hosting the party and telling misogynistic jokes. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Harley hooks up with the Wolfman guy um, who promises her that his drinks are roofie-free and that he gets loads of pussy in his van. Yeah, he's had a lot of fun and a lot of pussy in that van. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not sure how true that is. No. Um, I suppose we'll never find out. Yes. Because he goes off to have a pee before they get down to business and Michael appears and slams him against the tree. Yeah. Uh, Michael then grabs Harley and chokes her to death in the back of the van. Yeah, whilst I Just Want to Make Love to You by Foghat plays. Lovely. Uh, Loomis is watching his appearance on the Newman Hour, where Weird Al asks if they're talking about the Austin Powers, Michael Myers. Yeah. Further confusing the fucking timeline. So, yeah, so Loomis gets read to filth by Weird Al, which is very very strange to think of. Uh, Laurie is rather drunk at the party now. Yes. And she has a vision of Deborah and young Michael. <laughs> she starts screaming, but no one but Maya seems to notice. No. Maya being her um, other colleague. Yeah. Um, Annie is annoyed that Sheriff Brackett keeps calling home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael appears outside, though. He, it's a bit. He's. Um, he travels quick, doesn't he? Oh, he's great. Oh, Michael. Yeah. He appears outside the bracket residence. They have to fucking drive home. Yeah. You know. And kills the police officer. Um, Annie starts to run herself a bath. Uh, be watched by Deborah and child Michael. Yeah. yeah. My adult Michael then appears. Slow-mo chases her and then kills her or attacks her off screen with screams. And... It's a black screen. I don't know what the fuck Rob Zombie was going for. Oh, I know. It's a black screen, and we hear Annie screaming. Yeah. And then we see a light, and it's Myers and Laurie's headlights. Yeah. Pulling up to the Bracket residence. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. It's and, not good. It's and then not good. When they go into the house, um, we get flashbacks to her attack where Deborah's like, Go on, Michael, go have some fun. And it's like, okay, 
Why are we getting flashbacks to a death now? Just show it at the time it's happening. Yeah, exactly. And also, it makes you question, what the fuck did Michael do to Annie? Because when they find her, she's she went from having a dressing gown on to being fully nude, yeah. unsurprisingly, and covered in blood. Yeah. Again, exploitation, it's not empowering. This is not empowering at all for poor Danielle Harris, who's got to lay there, pretend she's dead, covered in blood, fully nude. Yeah. That is fucking... It's... Yeah. And so, have her in, in her dressing gown. Yeah. Why didn't it Why be would off? it be so difficult for her to be in her dressing gown? Yeah. Yeah, she's about to run a bath, so we understand that she's not going to be fully dressed. But she'll be in a dressing gown or... So I yeah. just, I, it just doesn't add to anything. I just don't get it. No. Uh, Laurie and Maya have a really boring conversation about tea. Yeah. Um, they're going to make a tea to sober themselves up. Um, why they drove home and then not fully sober. I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, upstairs, they find a mess as we get the flashes of Annie's death and then find Annie naked and covered in blood. Maya goes to call the police and she manages to... But um, before she can finish the conversation, Michael grabs her and stabs her multiple times in the kitchen. Yes. Um, on the work surface of the kitchen. I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, Sheriff Brackett is informed of the 911 call. <laughs> Uh, from his house but the uh, whoever it is the deputy or whatever she she was the other police officer says there's been a 911 call and he's like yeah so it happens all the time there's someone dealing with it and she's like it's from your home <laughs> yes. he arrives home and finds Annie dead and says ooh no god no 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 God, no. Ooh. And we get home movie footage of Danielle Harris as a child. They did fucking Brad Dourif dirty in this scene. They really D- did. That is the so, worst act that I've seen from him. So Annie <laughs> died in Laurie's arms. Yeah. Um, it didn't rean very much because she had very little screen presence in either of the films. Uh, Laurie manages to escape into the woods and then uh, Sheriff Brackett turns up. Yeah. He has to see <sighs> his daughter's boobs again yeah. it's so both films um he hams it up though but it is literally <laughs> and I, d- I don't understand what the old home video footage is meant to do oh, daniel harris um laurie flags down a car <laughs> yeah but michael kills the driver before they can leave for the hospital and then flips the fucking flips. car over with Laurie still inside. He flips the car over. Michael fucking Myers lifts this car up and flips it over. Yeah, it rolls down an embankment, starts to catch on fire, and then Michael pulls Laurie out and carry, uh, carries her to an abandoned shed. Deborah and young Michael are there. <laughs> um, Laurie can see Deborah, yeah. and she asks Deborah who she is. Um, I thought Laurie had just read the book, so <laughs> surely she should recognise the face, but whatever. Um, she makes Laurie repeat, I love you, mummy, <laughs> for some reason. And then the shed is surrounded by police. Yeah. Uh, Loomis finds out what's going on via the news. He gets there very fast, doesn't he? He, get, he gets there incredibly fast, because literally in the next scene he turns up and bracket punches him. <laughs> 
a really half-assed punch as well. And then starts putting well, a grin on his head. Yeah, Loomis says, I'll send you a copy. And then Brackett punches him in the face. <laughs> Bam! <laughs> Brackett, <laughs> super bitch. <laughs> yeah. Bam, Lee, super bitch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, Loomis tries to make amends by entering the shed. So this is his redemption moment. Yeah. Um... Laurie believes she is being held down by young Michael. Yeah. But Loomis can't see young Michael, only seeing Laurie writhing on the floor. Look at Michael. As if she's been grabbed. <laughs> Michael gives Loomis the side eye as soon yeah. as he walks in. <laughs> like, this fucking this bitch is back. Eric, yeah. <laughs> and now, back to this bitch who had a lot to say about me in his new book. Yeah. Loomis, what's good? <laughs> so. <laughs> Michael takes Loomis outside, smashes Yeah, they take shirt. it out to like, mate, do you want to take this outside? <laughs> Let's fucking go. Um, he then takes off his mask to show that he means business, and in a very bizarre series of events, I shit you not, he goes, Michael Myers says, die! <laughs> <laughs> now, I know in Resurrection, we heard the very first noises made from Michael Myers when he had his balls electrocuted. It was like, ooh! <laughs> But this is the first word he ever says as an adult. Yeah. And it's, die! Yeah. (laughs) And stabs Loomis to death. It's fitting, to be fair. Um, Yeah, Michael is then shot multiple times by the police. Yeah. Uh, Laurie leaves the shed and grabs the knife. And she looks like she's about to stab Loomis. But the police shoot her multiple times. Yeah. We get the John Lewis version of Love Hurts by Nazareth. Yeah. <laughs> it plays as we're showing the three main characters dead on the ground. Laurie, Loomis, Michael, all dead. Uh, yeah. And then we see Laurie in heaven or hell, sitting on a bed at the, long of, at the end of a long white corridor, grinning as Deborah's ghost approaches her with the horse. And then we get end credits with pictures of the victims from both films. What a load of pretentious shite. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so the theatrical ending, she comes out with Michael's mask on, um, and then she's in a psychiatric Oh, facility. I see. I don't know which one I prefer, they're both shit. What a load of fucking pretentious, lost up your own ass. Yeah. Crap. Not even close to being a Halloween film. No. Closer than the first film, but not even close to... But it had some redeeming moments. The cinematography was better. Um, I found there was less obnoxious characters. Slightly less. Slightly less. Um, and the death scenes were definitely better. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It's Everything it's else is better, shit. But, uh, yeah, it's... I don't know what it was trying to do. It's muddled... Terrible, terrible duo of films. By far the worst timeline in this franchise with many timelines. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings us to our next Malcolm Myers Through the Years awards round. Best kill, I've got a tie between the paramedic's glass decapitation and Howard's face stomp. Yeah, I would go with glass decapitation. One good scare. I had, again, this is a struggle. Michael going after Annie. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose. Most likable character I had, Annie. Yeah, it's, it's she a shame. She didn't deserve really. anything yeah. she gets in this film. Like she, she did deserve better. She was attacked in the first film, and now 
She's being shouted at by Laurie in every scene she's in with her and she gets killed. I just don't, I don't understand why she survived the first film. No. I just, I don't, she survived the first film, so I thought maybe they would do something a little more with her in the second yeah. film. Um, but now I realise that there wasn't meant to be a second film. I, I don't understand why she survived the yeah. first film, but yeah. Most unlikable character, I never thought I'd ever say this about any Halloween film. It's Laura Strode. Oh my Fuck god. Fuck that fucking annoying she bitch. She just goes through the whole film yelling and screaming. And just and I understand that's how Zombie is depicting her dealing with trauma. Um, but you gotta deal with it better because she just comes across as a fucking arsehole. Yeah. And that's Rob Zombie's Halloween one and two, Michael Myers through the years, part five. If you love these films, if you hate them, let us know on social media. We're Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm dead at Gaz92 on Letterboxd. Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram, Twitter and Letterboxd. And uh, if you're listening on iTunes, rate and review, subscribe and like, follow and everything else, you know the deal. Next week, we have a big week coming up. We are discussing two of the most divisive films, the divisive horror films of 2021 within a week. Yes. On Tuesday, we will be discussing Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills, which we have already seen, and we're on the better side of uh, the debate. Friday, we are discussing Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, original versus remake. Yes, excited for that one. And on Sunday, Halloween itself, our bonus episode will be released, which is also our 150th episode. What better way to celebrate it than with one of our favourite horror films of the year, Malignant, and a discussion about its influences and how it came to be and how it deals with them. Yeah, just a a, a chat about Malignant. We won't go through it piece by piece, bit by bit. Like we do other films, but it'd well, be nice. Well, I would. We could do yeah. a summary. It, could, it, do it a would summary. be a little long winded if we tried yeah. to um, fit it all well, in there. Well, but yeah. Yeah. Let's have this discussion off the podcast, <laughs> yeah? Okay. So we'll see you same time, same place next week. Bye. Michael. Michael. Michael Myers. I know he's not going to come back just because of some stupid holiday. Are you a giant? August 28th. It's called 911. There's blood everywhere. Rob Zombie completes his extreme vision. Happy Halloween. How do you like two bullets? Of a terrifying legend. What do you want from me? Halloween 2. This one's not yet rated.